What's up, everybody? You're listening to the New Generation Sports Talk podcast. This is our first show of 2019, and uh, I find it apropos that uh, your guy, Kendall Stewart, is hosting this week. Uh, first, obviously, we talked about there are going to be some changes in 2019, and, uh, you know, I'm taking lead this year. So um, I'm <laughs> oh, happy. God. I'm happy for. I'm happy about these changes. You know, I talked to EJ about my contract. Uh, we signed a new deal. I got a. Uh, I got a new gig as the host now of Degeneration Sports Talk. <laughs> so uh, going forward, we'll see. Hopefully, uh, this will not be my last time hosting. Um, but yeah, as you heard in the background, uh, our my guy EJ, uh, the the host of New Generation Sports Talk. Uh, in 2018, is not in studio this week. He is uh, on remote uh, over the telephone. So, uh, as you can see, EJ, um, you know, I've taken your spot. How do you feel about this, man? Man, Kendall's over here. We're making 2019 all about fake news on New Generation Media and Podcast Network. I, I, I have not relinquished the mantle as of yet. But, uh, but I, I obviously, I am not there at the moment. But I still think that it is apropos, honestly, that you are hosting the first show of 2019 as we try to uh, do bigger and better things. And, you know, the youth movement, the youth movement is hot. The youth movement is hot in the NFL coaching circles. Yeah, exactly, with all, with all these, uh With all these uh, guys being interviewed. They call so. me the Sean McVay of New Generation. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so it is apropos that you're, uh, that, that you're hosting this week. But uh, before we start, I do want to give you guys a programming note because I've been kind of teasing it. Listen to Hero Talk. I think I mentioned it last week that maybe something was happening. And Hero Talk, I said that something was definitely happening, most likely. Now I can confirm. Uh, if you pay attention, sometime Friday night, Saturday morning, we're going to be releasing a, uh, a a State of the Knicks podcast, a special podcast at the start of the year, talking purely about the New York Knicks. And we'll have a special co-host on that show. It'll be Jonathan Macri from Knicks Film School. So if you guys have or on social media, and you follow Knicks, I'm almost positive you've come across Knicks Film School at some point. They've done a really awesome job building their platform, and they have really a, a great team of writers, great team of, of just commentary uh, people, and Jonathan Mackley's one of the guys over there. He's going to be joining us on that podcast. We're recording it Friday night, so you should see it. It's not Friday night, Saturday morning. It's a great way to kick off your 2019, thinking about what it is that's going to be happening with the Knicks. We're not talking really basketball today. But um, but that's the podcast to listen to. So Friday into Saturday morning, keep your eye out. Stay the Knicks podcast, start 2019. Jonathan Macri from Knicks Film School will be our co-host. Yes, um, that should be exciting. I'm excited to talk some basketball on Friday. There there will be, you know, I'll have some basketball for you guys in Kendall's court at the end of the show. But mm-hmm. regard, besides that, this will be a primarily football show as we had a huge week in both the NFL and in college football. Uh, in the NFL this week, we had uh, Week 17. Now we're heading into the NFL playoffs. And in college football, obviously, we had the bowl season wrap-up. Now yep. we're heading into the national championship game after the two semifinal games that we had this weekend. Uh, but we're going to start in the NFL, EJ. Uh, the NFL playoff picture is set. We have all of our matchups for this weekend. Um, I think there are a lot of interesting matchups uh, for this postseason, you know, on Saturday we're going to see our first matchup is going to be that Houston Texans uh, team led by Deshaun Watson going up against Andrew Luck's Indianapolis Colts. And 
the Dallas Cowboys will be at home in AT&T Stadium in Arlington against the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, and then also on Sunday, we'll have the L.A. Chargers led by Anthony Lynn, the, the uh, I believe, first-year head coach, or second-year head coach, rather. Yeah, and, the second-year. Uh, going up against Lamar Jackson and the uh, Baltimore Ravens. And the Chicago Bears and their vaunted defense going up against the very lucky Philadelphia Eagles. I say lucky because... <laughs> very lucky, Jesus. They are lucky because my uh, Minnesota Vikings uh, wet the bed uh, against the Chicago Bears at home in a week game when the Bears had very little to play for. Uh, so, yes, the Eagles are very fortunate that the Vikings and uh, Kirk Cousins could not come up uh, in the clutch. But apologies, Eagles fans, for that very biased uh, intro to your announcement to your of your playoff berth. That was not my intention. Again, I am not at the controls today. It is Kendall. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, obviously, those are the matchups. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I told you, EJ, when we were we were watching, uh, you gave me the scenarios last week, and I said uh, I didn't say it was on the show. But we were together, and I was like, I know the Saturday four o'clock game will be the Texans versus whoever wins between the Titans and Colts. Uh, I was right, but uh, which game is most exciting to you? Which of these matchups most pops out to you? I'll tell you what, Kendall. To me, this is, I mean, I, I have to go through all the wild card weekends. I think this is shaping up to be one of the better ones I've ever remembered. I, 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 you know, I'm trying not to be too hyperbole. I am excited for the playoffs, but I, I feel like these are four really quality matchups with teams that maybe the Colts, I wouldn't give that a great chance to win the Super Bowl or go to the Super Bowl, rather. But I, I think almost all of these teams playing, if they got to the Super Bowl, it wouldn't be shocking. And that's... Really? Yeah, for me. I think the Colts and, and Ravens probably be a little bit on the further end of that. Like, okay, that would be kind of surprising. But I don't know. I think that all these matchups really are, are all pretty quality teams. And then the Eagles had the lowest record, but they're the Super Bowl champions. You know, that Texans-Colts game that we kind of were laughing about, that's an 11-5, 10-6 matchup. That's not there aren't two teams that were 8-8 eight eight or 9-7 making it. These are two teams that had great success. Uh, the Colts are one of the highest teams in the league, and the, and the, and the Texans also one of the highest teams in the league um, coming into these playoffs. If I had to pick a matchup to me that stands out, I got to go with the matchup between the Ravens and the Chargers. Um, that stands out to me because of the match that we saw a couple weeks ago, which I, I, I thought the Ravens had a great chance to win. Um, I thought they'd lose a close game. They end up winning that game on the road. And that really is the only reason why the Chargers are playing, because if they would have won that game, they would have won at AFC West. And I think it's a great matchup because I think it's just a great, uh, you know, the whole saying, you know, styles make fights. This to me is a is your classic styles makes fights matchup. And a team like the Ravens on paper may not look like a great matchup um, because of the fact that they're not a high-power offense. Uh, but the fact that they play defense so well, the fact that they can control the clock with the running game, uh, not just through their, their running the running core, the running backs, but also through Lamar Jackson, it makes it very tough for that uh, Chargers offense to get on the field and kind of get a rhythm, especially with the way their defense is playing over there in Baltimore. So uh, the Chargers, as a tough to me, that's a tough first draw. You know, I think they. I think if you ask them, they'd much rather play the Colts. Uh, that's not an easy game to go into Baltimore. It's going to be cold weather. Uh, you know, the Baltimore defense is going to come 
and bring the pain, so to speak. So I look at that matchup as a very intriguing one. And one that that, that the great Chargers struggled with just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you talk about that matchup, obviously, uh, the two quarterbacks, um, you have one guy in Phillip Rivers, uh, very, obviously, very experienced, um, has been in this stage before, hasn't exactly shined in the postseason in his career. He's had some very, very good moments, had some memorable moments in the postseason, but for the most part, hasn't been able to get over the hump. And you have a guy in Lamar Jackson who just was named starter less than a month ago and has played excellently for what uh, people would have expected from a rookie quarterback uh, who was drafted at the end of the first round and hadn't started all year. Um, has really ignited some life into this Ravens organization, so much so that he saved his head coach's job. But yeah, um, so that that's going to be... That that in terms of that tail of the tape, seeing how those two quarterbacks both respond to this, uh, to this atmosphere, to this stage, is is going to be intriguing. Um, for me, uh, I I'm looking at. I think I'm, I, I want to look at this uh, this Colts uh, Texans game. Oh wow! So you both of us going AFC here. Yeah. Um, when I look at this game. Yes, you know, I joked that, you know, it's the standard, you know, ESPN playoff game that's generally the the least intriguing. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's probably in terms of, like, from a viewer's perspective, it's not something I'm going to be, like, glued to the television to see. It's not like that doesn't have the big fight feel that uh, we talk about when we, you know, in wrestling, we talk about big fight feel. It doesn't have that, that big fight feel necessarily, but this could be a very interesting matchup, two up-and-coming uh, organizations, um, two up-and-coming quarterbacks. EJ, I saw an NFL GM say mm-hmm. uh, this weekend that they're the team in the NFL that could be a dynasty, meaning they could win Super Bowl. They could win a ton of Super Bowls over the next eight years. Who do you think it was? Did you say the Texans? Not the Texans. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought it'd be one of these teams playing. Is it the Colts? It is the Colts. Most wow. people would assume it'd be, you know, the Chiefs, the Rams, you know, the the Chargers, maybe. The I don't know the Bears. Mm-hmm. Those would be all the standard guesses. This GM said the Indianapolis Colts. This is an anonymous GM said the Colts are the future powerhouse of the NFL. They've got a young quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um. Who's on a team-friendly contract because of the injuries that he dealt with? Um, if he gets, if he continues to play well, which he's played excellently this year, Andrew Luck, um, you assume that he's going to be an elite quarterback playing with that kind of with that team-friendly contract. They've got a ton of cap space, uh, which is why they've talked about maybe going out and getting Le'Veon Bell in the offseason. Um, and they've got a ton of draft picks over the next couple yeah. of years. So the, Indian, the the Indianapolis Colts right now seem to be. Uh, riding and by the way, they've won I believe nine out of their last ten games. So, I mean, the Colts right now are one of, if not the hottest team in in football. Um, they started off the season horrendously, but since then have played excellently. So, um, I really do want to see how this Colts team plays on this stage because um, mm-hmm. they they are a team to look out for going forward. But again, 
we're talking about a Texans team that they are 11 and 5. This is not going to be a a cakewalk game. This is not going to be a team that they're just going to be able to run over. Uh, they played a tight game a couple weeks ago in Houston, uh, a game in which the Colts won. But um, I, I'm sure this matchup is going to be very, very good, and I'm excited for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, that, that GM's take on the Colts is interesting to me. You know, I, I didn't think about the Colts as that kind of team when I first, when you, you know, you posed the question of who would be that team that perhaps could uh, could be that next powerhouse in the AFC as we see the kind of the Steelers turmoil. The Patriots started looking very, very uh, mortal at this moment. And, you know, it seemed like, you know, Chiefs is kind of upstart. So, I, you know, to me, I think the Texans can actually also be a, a, a very strong team moving forward because they have a quarterback-wide receiver tandem that has the potential to be unstoppable. It's been unstoppable this year, and I don't expect New Hopkins or, or Deshaun Watson to slow down anytime soon. But the Colts are interesting. One of the things that excites me about the Colts is, to me, the Colts, this Colts team has one of the things that I don't think Peyton Manning ever really had, and that was a, like, really reliable defense. Like, they're not maybe, like, elite, but they're very, very solid. I think Peyton, I felt for, even when they won Super Bowl, those defenses were, like, ranked last in, like, rushing. And, like, they had to, like, always, like, kind of just piece it together when post when the postseason came around. Where I think Andrew Luck actually has a really solid, decent young defense over there in Indianapolis. And the other thing that makes this team intriguing is the fact that they're young pretty much everywhere uh, on the field in terms of offense. You look at running back, young, but talented. Uh, wide receiver, young and talented. Offensive line, very young but talented. The offensive line is maybe the best in football. Um, they've also, when you mentioned Luck and his, him kind of rising to that occasion, kind of playing to that elite level despite the money, also think about Eric Ebron. Ebron's a guy who was drafted in the top 10, and I don't want to say he was a bust in Detroit, but you can, he was no, close yeah, he to was it. Yeah, I mean, you can say he was a bust. Lions, he was a bust. Yeah, and we, I mean, this year he's turned into one of the best red zone targets in the NFL. Now, I don't know, I'm, I'm off the top of my head, I don't know his contract situation, whether he's signed long term, but if this is a guy you can keep around, I mean, him and Luck, that could be a dangerous tandem for a long time. And we talk about a guy, Le'Veon Bell, who's reportedly interested in joining them, but, you know, I, I like the way this kid Max has been running the rock. So they, they got a lot of good players. They're an intriguing yeah. team, and I, I agree. I think this matchup with the Texans is going to be a really good one. My my last thing on the Colts would be that, you know, we talked about last year with the Saints. We we realized, wow, the Saints team could be special going forward, and we've seen it this year. They've been excellent. A lot by what they were able to pick up in the draft. They they, mm-hmm. br- they brought in Alvin Kamara. You know, they brought in Marcus Williams, who obviously screwed up for them. Uh, in that, that <laughs> but Minnesota he's a very game, good player. But was very productive. You know, they yeah. brought in uh, Marshawn Lattimore, obviously. There was a lot of product among other guys on the offensive line that also were able to help them. Um, that really accelerated the the growth and the rebuild for the Saints. And I think we saw that with the Colts this year. Because, I mean, obviously Quentin Nelson, their first-round pick, has been tremendous on the offensive line. He's a stud, yeah. Yeah, he's a stud. He's already a, a, one of the top offensive linemen in the league. Um, they drafted Brandon Smith, uh, an old lineman in the second round. Braden Smith, rather, an old lineman in the second round, who's also helped them. And then Darius Leonard has been one of the better linebackers in the league this year uh, as a yeah. rookie. He's got like a hundred and something. I've got. I think he's got like a hundred and fifty 
Yeah, he's, he leads tackles. the he leads the league in tackles. He's leading the league in tackles. I mean, seven sacks. I mean, this. I mean, they. The fact it's that crazy you can make the Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl is a joke. Yeah, that was a, that was a joke. He. I mean, uh, was it him that said that? You know, oh yeah, because I didn't make the Pro Bowl. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna get like eighty tackles in the game or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like, but the fact that they can draft this many impact players that can come in and day one contribute. Is it's it's what makes people around the league scared about what this Colts team can do. Maybe not this year, but for years to come. Um, but I think uh, we should probably give our picks for who we think is going to win this game, win these games. DJ, yeah. uh, we'll start with the uh, Texans Colts. Who do you got? Uh, Texans Colts. I know you know we kind of lamented, uh, not lamented, but kind of you know you know spoke extendedly about uh, how strong the Colts. Are but I, I'm gonna give the edge to the Texans this weekend. I think this is gonna be a very good game. I mean, me, I, I thought that was a good pick for you. I know people are kind of sleeping on this game, but saying this is one that sticks out is important. Uh, I think the Texans have a good enough front seven, especially the front three or four, to not get annihilated by the Colts off the line because recently everyone's been getting annihilated by them, no one can move them off the ball. Uh, or, or, or no one, no, rather, no one can kind of push them back into the backfield. Um, they've been dominating the line of scrimmage for like the last three months. This is a team that you would think with Watt and, and Clowney and some of the guys they have up front that they should be able to at least negate that a little bit. And uh, to me, games like this, usually a team with like that dominant superstar player that team's in good shape. And to me, Nuke Hopkins is that guy. I mean, you go with 110-plus catches and no drops all season. The guy, That's you can make the case. It's insane. You can make the case the guy is the best wide receiver in the NFL. Um, he plays in a big city, so I don't know why no one pays attention to him. Maybe it's because the Texans are still kind of a newer franchise. Yeah, the Texans but, aren't a premier that's the Franchise. only reason why. Because the guy, we talk about Brown, who we'll talk about in the show. We talk about Beckham. We talk about all these dudes. New Hopkins, year in and year out, is electric. And the Colts have a de- decent secondary, but they, they had no one to cover this guy. So I think he makes big plays uh, in this game. Uh, I think they make uh, technically make one or two plays defensively, and I got them in a very close game. Probably a little bit of a high-scoring one. Yeah, I'm going to go with that Colts team that we were talking about. Uh, I feel like um, there will be plenty of energy uh, in NRG uh, Stadium, but the Colts are just, they're on fire right now. Um, Luck is playing excellent ball right now. its It really makes you remember those the days when people were saying, we don't know what Andrew Luck's going to look like. You know, should they trade Andrew Luck? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I look, and look, all, all, uh, I'll leave it all out there. I was one of the guys that said Andrew Luck uh, should possibly be moved and that maybe they should think about moving on from Andrew Luck because the guy hadn't played quarterback in like a year and a half. But mm-hmm. he's looked tremendous this year. Um, his numbers compared to Deshaun Watson's, you can see, I think there will be a slight advantage at the quarterback position for the Colts, and that could end up being the difference in this game. Uh, so I'm going Indianapolis on the road. Um, but... All right, the second matchup, one we haven't mentioned, EJ, again, is that uh, Cowboys-Seattle uh, matchup in Jerry World. Uh, who are you picking? 
This was a tough one. I mean, all these games were really tough for me. But uh, I- I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, this game scares me. I think of all the games I'm picking, this is probably the one I feel the least confident about, honestly. Because Dak Prescott, to me, is a complete um, enigma. I I don't know what I'm going to get from him. If the Seahawks, whose defense is young and exciting, and they've, they've played, they've grown throughout the year, if they... If they played a little better over the course of the full season, I would take Seattle. But I, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to dominate in the running game the way I think they need to to win this game. And, uh, excuse me, dominate uh, and stop in the run uh, the way they need to in this game. So I, I think if Jason Garrett was smart, and I think he is, uh, I think that he will make sure that the ball goes to Ezekiel Elliott over and 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 over again. And, look, it's going to be a lot of Ezekiel Elliott versus Bobby Wagner. And, I mean, if you're the Seahawks, you might even uh, feel like you're okay with that uh, kind of matchup. But, I, 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 to me, I, I think that uh, if the Cowboys can control the clock and kind of make Russell Wilson have to throw the ball and they can kind of neutralize that improving Seahawks running game, the Dallas secondary has gotten a lot better. We know they can get after the passer. Um I'm going to go with the Cowboys winning probably six or seven points, but I don't feel good about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I was, I'm going back and forth with this matchup. Uh, but I'm going to go with Seattle. Um, I think Russell Wilson, This the, the obviously there's no elements involved in playing Jerry World, which I think will be an advantage for Seattle. Um, it's not going to be an easy environment to play in, but... When I look at uh, the Seattle offense, has been much improved this year. Uh, you know they got Daryl Bevel the heck out of there and brought in <laughs> yeah. Brian, Brian Schottenheimer, and he's he's done a uh, he's, I would say surprisingly he's yeah, done a really good job. Yeah, he's done a surprisingly good job for you know his track record, which hasn't always been pristine. I know Jet fans know that for a fact, um, but he's done an excellent job of uh, kind of livening up their running game, like you mentioned, and also throwing in some wrinkles that have allowed Russell Wilson to be more aggressive in the passing game, and that's really opened up things for their offense. But a lot of it's going to come down to, like you mentioned, will Dallas do the things they need to do to win this game? Will they? Will Dak Prescott be able to make plays? Will they give the ball to Ezekiel Elliott uh, as many times as they'll need to to win this game? I don't trust this team. Which is why I don't trust them at all. I, which I is don't. Why I'm going with Seattle. You know, I think I get it. A lot of the things on paper scream Dallas should win this game. They're at home. You know, they've they've played well. They've played really. Seattle's also played well, but Dallas has played well. Amari Cooper has been balling. Zeke's been balling. Uh, Dax played well over the last couple of month, over the last couple uh, games. But I just feel like now the pressure is really on. You know, they've kind of gotten by in a weak NFC East that dealt with a Washington team that probably would have made the playoffs before Alex Smith is, or could have made the playoffs before Alex Smith's injury. And I do wonder, will when the lights are on, will this team perform? And I'm going to, I'm going to say they won't. I think the injury to Shaquille Griffin is also uh, going to be important to watch for, um, for this game. Cause I think that we've seen uh, Cooper from the Cowboys just as soon as he left, as soon as he left, Oakland, it's like he could play again. And yeah. <laughs> we've seen this guy dominate. And when you have an injury uh, 
to someone like uh, Griffin, who I think would be match up against him for some of this game. We know the Seahawks don't necessarily kind of put a guy on one guy all game and fe- shadow him. They never even played for Sherman like that. But Griffin, you would think, is gonna, if he's help, if he's out there and he's gimpy, he's going to get a lot of time against uh, Cooper. And if he's not out there and it's a backup out there, that's not going to be very helpful either. So that's going to be an important matchup to watch out as well. Yeah, let's head to our uh, third game. Uh, we've got the L.A. Chargers at 12-4 and four going mm-hmm. up against the 10-6 uh, and six Baltimore Ravens uh, in Baltimore, ironically enough, because they won their division. Um, who do you got in this one, EJ? Yeah, so I spoke about how this, to me, is, is going to be kind of a fist fight kind of game, and it's not going to be an easy one for the Chargers, but I think they will find a way to pull this one out. Um, I can say that I am excited to see uh, Hunter Henry play for the Chargers because he actually will play this weekend. Uh, <laughs> you looking I forward to the uh, the Ray Lewis versus Ladanian Tomlinson matchup? <laughs> no, I can actually say, I can actually talk about Hunter Henry because he How's Ray actually, Rice going to look in this game? <laughs> he actually is slated to play for the first time all season, which is kind of remarkable to me. I, You know, usually a guy is higher hurt in the offseason, even if he finds a way to kind of get close to healthy, they're not going to try to throw him out there during, you know, postseason play. Kyle but it doesn't Schwarber. sound... Kyle Schwarber-esque return. Yeah, it is, you know. So, I, I was a little surprised when I read that, but they're going to put him out there, so I'm actually curious to see, and if you guys don't understand the joke, Stephen A. got in a lot. Stephen A. Smith, ESPN, had a a meltdown to me. The only way he could describe it on a ESPN. On the, on yeah, a gaff. Yeah, uh, saying that he was excited to see Derek Johnson, who is not in football, uh, play against Hunter Four Henry, chief, who was hurt yeah. all year. And that became Call a whole the Chargers, story. San Diego Chargers, you know, a lot wrong. Yeah, but. So, uh, so a lot was wrong there. But um, Hunter Henry is back, so I'm hopefully Stephen A. got to have a good laugh in that and mention that this week if he's on. But, no, I, I think that uh, Hunter Henry and then, of course, uh, Marvin uh, Melvin Gordon also uh, suiting up as well. We'll see how healthy he is, but I think it is good that he got to spend so much of his time off I hope that he's going to be uh, fresh in this kind of game because they're going to need him. I think this is going to be kind of a, a rough and tumble kind of game. But while Ravens beat them in the regular season, when they, a game they had to have in the postseason, I would hope someone like Philip Rivers and his kind of wily uh, veteran experience would help him uh, navigate uh, for the navigate these Chargers through tough waters in Baltimore. So I'm going to take the I'm going to take the the Super Chargers here. Yeah, this one uh, I'm going with the Ravens. I, I wonder if this is more of a uh, heart overhead pick because, you know, I want my guy Lamar Jackson to get a W in the playoffs. Um, everything, again, on paper screams the Chargers are a much better team. I mean, the Ravens did beat them in a head-to-head, but the Chargers, uh, the more experienced team, they've been uh, better all year. The Ravens kind of gotten hot late. Uh, we're able to play themselves into the playoffs. I, I mean, I, I think a lot's going to come down to will this home field advantage be the difference? And mm-hmm. I mean, for a team that's ten and six to be playing a home playoff game against a team that's twelve and four, that's a huge. I mean, that's a huge break for Baltimore. Because um, in most regards, a team like this should not be playing, should not be given a home field advantage. Yeah, and that, I mean, it's something the NFL may want to look at at some point, but. Regardless, um, I, I do wonder if this could be the difference. Uh, that would be a shame if Phil Rivers, with this team, 
the best team he's had in six, seven years. And they had bounced out in the wild card for by a rookie quarterback. Like, by a rookie quarterback in a year when they were twelve and four and somehow they still didn't win in division. So they play a road game against the best defense in football. Like a lot to me in this game isn't going their way. But I also think this might be the Chargers year, which is why I think they'll find a way to persevere. But if they lost this game, they'd have every excuse for why it happened. Yeah. Um there's I also wonder if there is more pressure on LA than there is on Baltimore. I mean, I don't wonder that. I think there is more pressure on LA than there is on Baltimore. There definitely is. I mean but I do I, wonder if that I, affects I, them. It could affect I them wonder, positively or negatively. Now what I would wonder is for these guys, a lot of these guys that are playing in this game, for Rivers there's a lot of pressure and you know, Gates for there's a lot of pressure. You know, we know he's at the very, very end of his career. But like a lot of these guys that have kind of been that have kind of wore that mantle of oh the Chargers can't win big games they can't win the big one they can't get to the Super Bowl well a lot of those guys are gone Rivers is like the coach is gone all the stars from those teams are gone Rivers is pretty much the only standby so I wonder and this is also a new fan base you're not even taking the San Diego fan base that got used to all those heartbreaking losses in the playoffs is is this LA fan base that's very very fair weather is this team who has no real history in the postseason or playing games with a lot of pressure, are they going to take that pressure into this game? Like, is a Melvin Gordon, a Henry, a Derwin James, are these guys, Joey Bosa, do these guys at all think or care about the Chargers pass? Is that something that they've been answering questions about this week? It feels like those days were like a lifetime ago. And while the quarterback's the same, so therefore the narrative's the same, I don't know if it applies. That I mean, that's certainly an interesting take. Um... It's only, I only say that from like a team that's twelve and four, that sure. you know is trying to compete for a Super Bowl. Yeah, sure. yeah. You know, you've got to. It's this is a game you kind of have to win, or else yeah. it's embarrassing. Baltimore is kind of playing with house money, and I I just don't know if I mean this is a team that beat them already. So yeah, I don't know if the difference between these two teams is that is that far for it to be like Baltimore is like you know. A two touchdown underdog or whatever. It's not going to be that, but that's the way it may be. That may be the narrative of like you right. guys got to win this game, even though they're on the road against a tough team that's played very, played very well. I don't think they look that great this week against Cleveland, but um, I that, that's where I say that you know the pressure will be on uh, LA. I just want to see how they respond, and if they respond and they just destroy Baltimore, or they just dominate them, which they could because they're a better team, then. That'll tell me a lot about this LA team and what could be coming for them this month. Uh, yeah, coming forward. Uh, but let's go to our last game, EJ. We've got uh, the Chicago Bears, who uh, thoroughly dominated my Minnesota Vikings this weekend. Yeah, uh, going up against, uh, unfortunately, the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, any Philadelphia <laughs> people? Very unfortunate. But, and Kendall, I, I once again for the people out there, this is Kendall at the controls. I have no, I have no smoke. <laughs> I want no smoke with Philadelphia Eagles I, I, fans. I'm not I a Vikings fan that is salty that my team's not in and the team that beat us in the NFC Championship. No, game. trust, trust me, he is salty. Um, <laughs> yeah, how will Nick Foles, uh, EJ, play on this platform? He's played well so far. How will he respond <sighs> to against against this uh, Chicago Bears team? Yeah, how I kind of how I feel about the Ravens being a team with house money, kind of desperate 
I'm not desperate. Uh, kind of playing with house money, kind of nothing to lose going into that game against Chargers, feeling very, uh, feeling very loose. I would feel and dangerous, which is why I'm nervous for the Chargers this weekend. I think the Eagles are like the opposite. I think the Eagles, while maybe they should be playing with house money and they should kind of come in, kind of lose with nothing to lose, they had to like fight to survive just to get to this game. And I mean, they even the quarterback got hurt in the last game of uh, the season. He is going to play, but I, I don't know. I think this is a team that like may have spent all their 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 energy just trying to get to this point, just to kind of save face and not have that like very obvious terrible Super Bowl hangover where you don't even make the playoffs next year. I think they fought to get in here. They showed some championship grip by doing that. But this Bears defense is not to be messed around with. And I think the Eagles offense has just been too uneven for me to feel like they can consistently move the ball against uh, these Bears. You never underestimate the heart of a champion, but I don't know. I, I just The Bears, I'll tell you what, I, I was not impressed with how they played two weeks ago against the 49ers. And which is why, which I said last week, is why I thought the Vikings would win. And to see them dominate the Vikings the way they did, the game that, the, I mean, it was something there for them. You know, they could have got to number two particularly potentially if the Rams somehow slipped up in their last game. But they knew all for all intents and purposes they were going to be a three seed. They just wanted to keep the Vikings out of the playoffs. And they go on the road and just stumped them like that. That was quite impressive. And their defense is serious. I don't think that the Eagles piecemeal offense is going to be able to get it done this week. So I got the Chicago Bears. Yeah, I'm going with uh, Chicago. Um, I was thoroughly impressed with the Chicago Bears this weekend, um, or last weekend. I they again they came into this game they came into that game against Minnesota, and you know Matt Nagy, Matt Nagy made the he made the proclamation. He was talking all week about you know regardless of what we have to play for, I'm playing my guys. You know we're playing to keep this team out of the playoffs. But I I thought that was all talk. I was like they're they're not gonna really show up. You know, they'll kind of come in this game, sleepwalk, and Minnesota will steal a playoff spot. And they did not. Even when coming out of halftime, it was obvious St. Louis, or not St. Louis, I see, I'm making the Stephen A. Stephen A problem. Even <laughs> when L.A. Uh, obviously, <laughs> obviously beat, was going to beat, uh, it was Arizona, whoever they were playing, um, they still... They still uh, left their they left their guys out there, and they still came out with the same energy they played in the first half and dominated Minnesota. And not only because look, we know Chicago has a great defense. That's mm-hmm. not surprising. It's not surprising. Choke. Uh, <laughs> go about to call him Choke Cousins. Kirk Cousins choked uh, the way he did. Um, those are all things you kind of have to expect in in these kind of games. But what surprised me, or what impressed me the most about Chicago, was the way. Mitch Trubisky played, and the way that offense looked against Mike Zimmer is supposed to be a defense guru. Uh, Minnesota defense that was one of the best in the league with a whole, a whole lot of talent. Xavier Rhodes did not play, but he's still in a game against a team that's playing for, for their season. Yeah, you know Minnesota's playing like it's a playoffs game. Chicago's playing like it's a scrimmage, and in, in, essentially, and just carved them up. And that's something that I don't think can be overlooked. Uh, Philly, on the other hand, played a Washington team that was, you know, didn't could care less about that game. Yeah, the team that quit. Yeah, a team that quit like a month ago when their quarterback unfortunately got injured. Yeah. Like I, I mean, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, they've played well, but 
I, I mean, I think I think Chicago's win last week was was much more impressive than Philly's, and I think Chicago's a much better team. Uh, I, I I think Nick Foles is not going to play the way I think some people in Philly expect him to play, and I think all the Wentz Foles debate will be over by next week. I tell you what, if Foles can pull a rabbit out of his hat in this game, then more power to him. But I. I don't know. This Bears defense just looks so ridiculous. I can't imagine someone going in there with the way the Eagles have looked for the, this whole season and getting a win, whether it's Wentz or Foles. I, that would be that Should, would be surprising to me. It could happen. Like, this Eagles team is like shown that they like rise from the dead when like you don't expect them. So right. like, if any team can make the most miraculous kind of never, no one sees this coming kind of win, it's this Eagles team. I'm I'm gonna bet against them, and maybe they'll prove me wrong. Should but there right be now, a? I'm not, I'm not going to Should there be a Wentz Foles debate? If let's say Foles can get them to the NFC Championship game, and let's say they mm-hmm. lose to New Orleans or whoever they would play, the Rams, either one would be a tough matchup. But so that means they would have to, to beat. They would have to beat the the Chargers next week. Then I mean, that's uh, the the Rams next week because they're the six, right? Yeah, so it'd be the Rams. And I mean. If they if he's able to beat Chicago yeah. and L A and then they lose to New Orleans, however they lose, is there a real discussion about what do we do at once? I don't think so because at the end of the day, uh, quarterback's a weird position, so it's not like Foles is like I mean he's not even old, but like it's not even like oh like he like he's gonna be done like in a couple of years. Like in theory, he could be he a quarterback be, for the next five. years. He could be this good for five years. Yeah, yeah. that's not that's not at all unreasonable. But I do feel like the the way the team is kind of built, the 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 team is kind of built to win now, which kind of makes me feel like okay, I don't want to give up on a twenty three, twenty four year old quarterback who had an MVP caliber season not that long ago. I may be giving away. I, Wentz might not be that young, but no, but a guy in his mid twenties who had an MVP caliber season. Yeah, probably he is twenty six. Um, yeah. A guy who had a. a uh, uh, MVP caliber season, and I'm going to give up that because I think Foles maybe gives me a better chance year to year. Sometimes, you know, I don't know. I, I to me, the Eagles could be in for like a kind of a, a subtle rebuild soon. I'm not doing that with Foles. I'm doing that with the guy who's 20, who almost won the MVP at age 24, 25. I'm not doing that with Nick Foles. So I, I don't think there should be a debate, even if Foles win the Super Bowl. It's Even if Foles wins the Super Bowl now, I think no, that's another just, discussion. No, it shouldn't be a debate because, Kendall, he's not your future. He could win the Super Bowl, but at the end of the day... Well, you got to bring him is, back. If he wins back-to-back Super oh, Bowls... I don't care what happens this year. They should try to bring him back. They could <sighs> lose this game, and I would still say, Kendall, it's, it's shown that he has... It's shown that he has value. Wentz has proven to be a little bit injury-prone, and Foles has proven that with the way their team is kind of built... When he gets out there, he plays very well. So it makes no sense to me for him to let him walk unless the number he gets on the free agent market is just, like, insane. I, I don't know. Maybe he'll get that kind of number, but I, I just feel like he should be retainable. I know that means, okay, you can't get that nickel corner or that safety maybe you wanted, but he, they clearly need him. So I don't care what happens. I would try to bring him back as long as the number is not insane. And he would continue to be my backup. But no, and like if next year Wentz comes back and he's fully healthy, and there's no reason to believe that I'm gonna need Foles anymore, then I try to trade him the next offseason. But I don't. I, I to me, I don't think that they should move off from him immediately. 
But I also don't think that, regardless of what happens, that Foles at any in any way somehow becomes their answer. I don't see that. Interesting. I, it's gonna be tough to go in Philadelphia. The way the te- the temperature is right now, it's gonna be tough to go in with two two quarterbacks going into next season. The way the fans are, the way they they're calling for Wentz's head. Uh, it was tough this all season. They tried it; it worked for the most part. But then Wentz rushed himself back. And Wentz hasn't even been that bad this year. I mean, <laughs> tell he, that to the Philly fans, man. They I, under, I understand that. And like, look, game to game, like you can look at a guy's stats mac- on a macro level, and like you, you could anybody, you can make, you can convince anybody, anybody's pretty good, right? You know, uh, Nate Peterman, maybe that's your exactly. Nate Peterson. Nate Peterman, <laughs> I was gonna say, you may be the only guy. But like, I mean, Wentz's stats from a macro level, like he played pretty well. So I don't think I saw anything this year that made me think, oh, like there's no way he can be the guy. I- I'm not giving up on him under any circumstances. Yeah, I think I agree. Um, but moving on, EJ, we we saw. Uh, I mentioned we talked about the Ravens. Uh, they had their win against the Browns this weekend, uh, and in that win. They also simultaneously eliminated their bitter rivals, the Pittsburgh Steelers, from contention and knocked them out of the postseason, ended their season uh, after they got a win over the Cincinnati Bengals in a game they had to win. And a guy that did, that did not play in that game was Antonio Brown. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Antonio Brown was inactive. They were telling us, what was it, like a knee injury or something? Yeah. You know, we so he was in his fur coat on the bench, you know, watching this game. And it was it was not really a story on Sunday because Pittsburgh got the win. Uh, they looked good, but ultimately they didn't make the playoffs, so nobody, mat- nobody cared. And then we find out uh, on Monday, later in the week or early in the week, that it was not because of an injury, uh, him being inactive. He was actually inactive because... He uh, threw a football at Ben Roethlisberger, <laughs> essentially tried to fight him, and went AWOL basically the rest of the week. Showed up on Saturday, you know, as if, well, all right, I'm back, I'll, I'll play. And Mike Tomlin was like, no, you're not going to play. After you, we, <laughs> They couldn't get in contact for, with him all week uh, and missed all of practice, basically. You know, sorry, Kendall, but you know how crazy it is? Like, imagine any other job. Like, imagine, like, if I was at New York 1 and I just decided – uh, I'm mad at you people. I'm not showing up. And then, like, you know, Saturday, like, I have, I'm supposed to work or whatever. I show up. I'm like, oh, no, I'll be good Saturday. Like, Yeah, I know, like, right? What? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're suspended without pay. You're a lot of jobs. Or you're being yeah. put on some sort of some sort of probation. But, um, so we had that on Sunday. Uh, this, this story comes out on Monday. And then, now, today, you know, or this week, or the rest of the week, we've had Brown essentially being uh, very, very passive aggressive on social media. Uh, he's been uh, he unfollowed the Steelers on on Instagram and followed the San Francisco Forty Niners. Uh, he's been responding to Forty Niners fans uh, and George Kittle, you know, their you know tight end who's played well this year, talking about how you know he may want to be a Forty Nine er or alluding to the fact that he may want to be a 49er um, and doing all this while he also had a video with James Harrison, which was weird. Yeah. There's supposed to be some like interview coming out that never happened. So I don't know what that was about. Yeah. He had a video with James Harrison. That was weird. 
that was posted like while Mike Tomlin was oh no he posted like a picture like a, a quote or something that was very vague while Mike Tomlin was having a press conference talking about Antonio Brown Mike Tomlin said during that press conference that he knows nothing about a trade request but as far as we know it seems like the guy wants out uh we also had uh Ryan Clark go on ESPN and tell a story about how when Antonio Brown was on uh, when they were both on the Steelers, Antonio Brown was in his third year and getting ready to get a contract, and they got into it in practice. Uh, Ryan Clark said that he told uh, somebody in Pittsburgh that if you guys give this guy money, if you give this guy money, you're going to create a monster. Yep. Uh, and that um, Antonio Brown was talking crazy to Dick LeBeau, the defensive coordinator, and essentially said that, you know, stop hitting me, I'm the franchise or whatever. And then Antonio Brown saw that on, a, I guess, on Instagram or something, and commented at that video calling Ryan Ryan Clark and Uncle Tom. So, <laughs> so I mean, I mean I'm, Jesus, I mean, I, don't, I shouldn't have laughed at that, but I didn't, it, I didn't know that part. Yeah, so, it's, it's yeah, wild. So obviously, this Antonio Brown has lost his mind. For the most, I don't <laughs> know if he lost his mind. Maybe, I don't know. I, I can't say if he has a point or not. But regardless, um, I, I from what I've seen, I don't think I think Ryan Clark's conducted himself fine. I don't know. I don't. They, they, he knows more of the story, I guess, than I do. But regardless, um, EJ. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's been a tumultuous week for Antonio Brown and the Pittsburgh Steelers. He is their best player, undoubtedly, by all metrics, all all uh, discussion. What do the Pittsburgh Steelers do with Antonio Brown? Boy, it's a it's a really tough. Uh, conundrum that brown has put them in i mean you say you know brown apparently has gone crazy i, I kind of want to touch on that for a second yes i kind of want to get because, to that too but yeah yeah because i'm gonna keep it 100 on the show as i always try to i'm getting a little tired of people who cover the state who have covered him not really the Steelers, because it's mostly been most national media people who have covered him come out with this like I don't know like 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 they're trying to protect his image and his character when AB continues to do actions suggesting that he doesn't really care right. like I don't know how many times I, I don't know how many dudes and if a lot of the dudes that have said stuff or tweeted stuff I respect I want to keep that 100 Justin Tinsley mad respect um I don't remember I don't know the dude's name who works for Bleacher but Master Trez on Twitter Worth a Bleacher Report, mad respect. I like these guys a lot, but and they only and they weren't the only two, but I've seen at least ten of these dudes come out with these. Oh, AB is misunderstood. You gotta understand his upbringing for why he is how he is. Look, fam, AB had a rough upbringing coming up in Miami, Florida. He was homeless. Uh, it, it, it was it was a story that's not unfamiliar to many, but his seemed to even be rougher than most. Um, that is no excuse for him continually to to act as if he cares only about himself and not the team. And we've seen him go through these spats with the team over and over and over again over the last year. And this seems to just be – and if it's not the team, it's some random reporter. Like, he seems to always have these issues, and we always seem to kind of make excuses for him. We got to stop. Like, yeah. we got to stop. Because I think as we we continue to keep doing this, it's continuing to enable what is obviously outrageous behavior. It's outrageous. It's outrageous to throw a football at a dude and then not show up to work. It is. Now, are we 
not if these calls to protect his image are also being coupled with maybe he's a Ricky Williams situation where he needs some kind of emotional support, then maybe we can have that conversation. I have not seen any of these people who are trying to defend him somehow through all this. Or even not defend him, but at least say, oh, I know where he's wrong, but like you got to understand who he is. No. Like, we got to hold everybody accountable. And A.B. doesn't seem to be holding himself accountable. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like because he had a tough upbringing and he's kind of an eccentric character that him throwing footballs at people and not showing up to work is okay. It's not. Now, have the Steelers done enough to maybe acquiesce to him? I don't know. It's, it's hard to really say. But I just feel like, I don't know, and I guess also it kind of frustrates me because Mike Tomlin is a coach who won a Super Bowl, who's been to the Super Bowl, who's had a lot of success as a head coach. Whether you think he should be gone or not is another conversation. But between what we saw from Harrison last year, what you see from this dude this year, the stuff we just kind of seen from the Steelers the last two years, it's like outrageous that they treat this man with such disrespect. It is. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mention that you could think of why, however you think of why they keep treating him with this disrespect is your prerogative. But there's no question in my eyes that they, they continue to do so despite what he's accomplished, and it's a shame. So uh, in terms of what the Steelers, so I didn't say that, but in terms of what the Steelers should do, it's tough because if they trade him, it's 21 million dollars in dead money. If they cut him, it's 21 million dollars in dead money. I, I mean. AB's kind of put them in a terrible situation. I think they would love to trade him, but it just not love because you love because the guy is such a great player. But I think they feel like if there was any if there was any team that could afford to lose a top receiver, it's maybe this team because they have another top receiver potentially in uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. You don't want to lose a guy like AB, but he's clearly becoming maybe more trouble than he's worth. But I don't know if they can with this money. I, I, I think maybe something happens where they're able. To, I don't know if this is even allowed, but if he really wants out that bad, could he maybe restructure his contract that would actually allow him not to take that cap hit? I don't know if that I don't know if that's allowed. But if that is allowed, that's the only way I think I see him getting traded. Otherwise, I, I think that this this is it for him. I, I think that he's gonna have to just stick it out, and maybe he gets traded at the trade deadline next season. I don't know how that would work with their cap, but I I, I don't know if this is something that's gonna be uh, a, a quick fix. Yeah, um, when I look at this uh, Antonio Brown situation, uh, it brings me to, first I want to start on Antonio Brown. I don't know if I talked about this on the show, or I had a discussion with you, uh, I don't know if it was off air on the show, but remember the undefeated story that was that I told you about uh, early in the season, it was about Antonio Brown and like uh, his, his, his family, and mm-hmm. you know, it was an article the the writer for the undefeated Jesse Williams kind of he breaks down um like basically like his situation with his kids and you know the mother of his kids and dealing with you know how there may be like some uh essentially he called Antonio Brown fake that's like the that's the macro is I'm obviously I'm paraphrasing but that's kind of the theme of the article and Antonio Brown kind of goes after him for it and uh kind of like threatens to fight the guy on over yeah. social media and it becomes a huge deal and Tony Brown eventually had to apologize. And if you read that article, which I suggest people do again, it was the undefeated writer, Jesse Washington. 
this and this was written in September. Uh, mm-hmm. It paints Antonio Brown in a very very poor picture. It paints him in a picture of man, this guy is kind of he's, he's really off, and that is something where like there I, there are people that probably when we talk about the NFL, the NFL is not like the NBA where the NBA is a twenty four seven. We follow everything the players do, type of league, and we follow every narrative basically daily. So we know, like, oh, Kevin Durant has a burner account. He's losing his mind. Kevin hmm. Durant said this. Kevin Durant said that. You know, where LeBron said this. LeBron said that. We know everything that happens with NBA superstars. In right. the NFL, there are like maybe three or four guys that are covered like that. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, Odell's pretty much covered like that when he you know, says something or does something, it's always news. But there are very few guys that are like that. Antonio Brown hasn't gotten to that level. So, like, he's done stuff, and he said stuff. We don't know. He's gone under the radar. Yeah. And people don't realize Antonio Brown's kind of been losing his mind for a while now. You know, he... I remember last offseason, he was saying... He was doing passive-aggressive stuff, saying that he wanted to play for the Falcons. Saying, oh, yeah, you know, me and Julio Jones would be great. You know, like... I mean, this isn't like this has come out of nowhere that he doesn't really want to be in Pittsburgh. So, and like I said, the fact that he's had a character issue, I didn't even know. Obviously, I didn't know about the Ryan Clark story. But Ryan, this makes me think that Ryan Clark, uh, he's made it clear that he's basically been like, this kid's been a problem or this guy's been a problem for years. Yeah, and this, yeah. There's plenty of stuff that we probably don't even know about, the media doesn't know about, that have been swept under the rug because he's a superstar player. Um in terms of the whole Ryan Clark deal, uh, I, again, I, there, there's a lot that I don't know about the situation for me to say, you know, Antonio Brown. I mean, I don't think he was in the right for Ryan Clark and Uncle Tom, but um, what I will say is, look, Ryan Clark, and he's playing, it'd be one thing, it really, Ryan Clark is on the side of Mike Tomlin, who's a black coach. So mm-hmm. it's tough for me to look at that and be like, this guy is caping or this guy is he's on there and he's doing he's 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 being anti Antonio Brown, which is somehow Uncle Tom behavior. That seems I don't know. Regardless. Uh I I don't know. But that then leads me to this guy, Antonio Brown, just he's been reckless. He's clearly right. been yeah. reckless, saying whatever he wants, uh, with no no real he has an objective, obviously, but he has no real science to what he's doing, it seems like. And the only comparison, I, I mean, and this may be a stretch, but it reminds me a little bit of, like, what Kanye West has done. You know, sure. like, the the way he's acted, where it's like, you know, it's been a slight deterioration, and I'm sure Pittsburgh doesn't want to deal with it anymore. The question is, can they get rid of it? Can they get rid of him? Is it worth it? And then the other question has to be look it's Tomlin who seems to be clearly in Ben's Ben Roethlisberger's camp are you going to get rid of Tomlin for Antonio Brown are you going to get rid of Ben for Antonio Brown because you get rid of either one of them those guys days could be numbered but I don't know if I'm doing anything to acquiesce Antonio Brown exactly if you do anything if you do anything (laughs) for if you get rid of any one of those guys who may be easier to get rid of it makes then Antonio Brown won and do the Roonies really want to admit that Antonio Brown? Do they really want Antonio Brown to win this? Because he's clearly the guy that's acting out of line. Are we gonna? Are they gonna reward that kind of behavior 
and set that example that you can act crazy for like a couple of weeks and or really a, a year mm-hmm. and you'll finally get your wish. And one thing about receivers, Kendall, is typically like Antonio Brown, I would say probably last season or the last two seasons before this year. He had a great year this year, but clearly he wasn't probably as good as the last two seasons. Those those were the peak, peak Antonio Brown season. Typically with receivers, like they have a peak and then they hit maybe a second level where they're um where they're able to still play at a high level, but maybe not quite at the high level. And then they hit a level where they're not even close to being, a, you know, a top receiver. So Brown may be a, a top-notch player right now, but what is he two years from now? I don't right. know if I'm giving up uh, on my head coach because of a guy who is great now, but maybe isn't a 15,000, a 1,500-yard receiver in two years. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like like we saw like Ocho Cinco be great for years, and I love Chad. So I, I you know as I don't hate, I don't like to bring him up in this manner. But we saw Ocho Cinco be great for years, and then things kind of got bad in Cincinnati. And then he was decent; he was able to be a thousand yard receiver. And, and then he he went to the Dolphins, and he, he couldn't get out of training camp. Like you know, and part of that because obviously the domestic violence stuff. But then he couldn't land on another team. Like the the um. These guys, they, they, they have a tough time sometimes sticking at that high level. And, I, and for A.B., I don't know if he's going to be any different than some of these other guys. Yeah, and I, I also... To be worth all this nonsense. Yeah. Um, and the other conversation, especially when they have two good young receivers in uh, Smith-Schuster and James Washington. Um, yeah. But I also want to touch on Tomlin real quick. because. Sure. Uh, we're after this. We're going to talk about the NFL uh, coaches that uh, lost their jobs and talk about the future of the NFL car- coaching carousel. But uh, before we get to that, I do want to talk about Mike Tomlin real quick because it seems as if he he's safe. He hasn't. He wasn't fired. He hasn't been fired. Um, I do wonder if both parties need a change of scenery. Or if both parties need a change. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he needs... Because I think Tomlin is one of the... I think he's a top 10 coach in the NFL. You know, he's got a Super Bowl ring. Um, you know, I would want him as my coach uh, in Minnesota. But, like, I feel like he may have run his course. I think I don't know if his voice travels in the locker room the way it did. I don't, I don't think it does. Yeah. I think I think he's clearly... I think he's... To me, he's clearly lost the locker room. Yes. I mean, the stuff that's going on in Pittsburgh... I don't know how they've even been able to function as a football team with the craziness that's going on. So to me, he's clearly lost the locker room. I think the talent on the roster and his ability to somewhat manage a franchise has allowed them to win 10 games and be somewhat still respectable. Yeah. But I don't think that unless they decide to clean house and decide to say, you know, we're going to rebuild, but with Mike Tomlin, which I don't see the Rooney's doing. So if that's not in the cards anytime soon, then I think that they should move on. I think he should move on. Uh, the Rooney's love. The one no thing they do Mike love. Though, so he ain't walking out away from that job. The one thing the Rooney's do love, and we've seen in the entire history of the franchise, is stability. They love longevity with coaches. They love longevity. They love continuity. They love stability. They've only had like four or five coaches. Exactly. They've been donors, yeah. And so that's what they're going to have to kind of wrestle with is like, they're going to have to – they don't like coaching changes. They don't like coaching searches. They may have to do one here. 
And they've um, also been very fortunate. I mean, who? what are the odds you land Chuck Noll, Bill Cowher, and Tomlin back to back to back? I know, right? I mean, no one does that. That's... That doesn't happen in the NFL. Like, what are the chances you're going to get another guy who can give you another decade? Yeah. That, that seems I mean, highly unlikely. Cleveland is just, like, shuffling through coaches, seems like, every two years. Yeah, exactly. And none of them can win any games. Um, I mean, that's going to be the... That's going to be what they're going to have to wrestle with. But the upside of this Pittsburgh franchise, this this is a team that should be competing for the Super Bowl. From where they were, they yeah. should be competing for the Super Bowl every year. And I feel like they weren't legitimately competing this year. Um, like, they had Le'Veon Bell. They had arguably the best running back, best wide receiver, a Pro Bowl quarterback. On top of the fact that they drafted James Conner. And they yeah, and they have, another, they have another Pro Bowl wide receiver. Yeah, exactly. They've got guys <laughs> like Juju. Like, this team is, they've got the elite talent. they got guys on defense that they've picked up. T.J. Watts, a big-time player. Yeah. Like, they've got the, the talent. Obviously, what happened to Ryan Shea's ear is unfortunate, and some people feel like that was the that was the start. Straw. That was the that start. That was straw that brought the cameras yeah, back. Yeah, it was. Where, you know, then you had Le'Veon Bell kind of be like, look, now I need to get my money. Because when you see something happen to a guy like Ryan Shea's ear, that... Um, that that obviously kind of you know makes you a little bit more makes you understand the value of your financial security in a game like football. But you do wonder if that's kind of where this all started. I don't know, but mm-hmm. um, I just do feel like this is a Pittsburgh team that has kind of missed out on their their championship window because now Le'Veon yep. Bell is going to be gone. Uh, Antonio Brown wants out. What can you really get for Antonio Brown? Uh, luckily, they've drafted well, so they've they've got guys in James Conner and Juju that can kind of replace those guys and be 60-75% of what the guys they lost were. But you, And you've got a quarterback that's aging. You have Mason Rudolph. We don't know what that guy is, but um, like you don't, you don't know if you've got a quarterback going forward in the next five years. So it, it, this went from a team that really had a chance to be where we, the same way we look at New Orleans and L.A. Really, New Orleans, I think, is the closest comparison. They sh- that should be what Pittsburgh is. But uh, Yeah, this, I agree. This tumultuous situation kind of messed them up. But let's talk about the NFL coaches real quick, EJ. We've got uh, – we had plenty of coaches lose their jobs, as we do every year. Uh, let me run down the list real quick. We've got uh, Todd Bowles, uh, obviously, in New York, lost his job. Adam Gase in Miami lost his job. Kind of a little bit surprising. Uh, Marvin Lewis, uh, about five, six, seven years too late. Marvin Lewis <laughs> finally uh, out of a job in, in Cincinnati. Uh, Dirk Cutter in Tampa Bay. Uh, Vance Joseph in Denver. And Steve Wilkes, after one year in Arizona, uh, lost his job. The Dirk Cutter one really like went under the radar for me. Like... I think because mm-hmm. it was, like, so obvious that I don't think, like, it was even, like, I don't think it was news. It was barely reported. Yeah, I, I saw, like, oh, wait, Dirk Cutter was fired? Yeah, when was. when did this even happen? <laughs> yeah. This happened, like, last week, and I just didn't know. But, yeah, the but those are the names, EJ. Um, mm-hmm. Any takeaways from this coaching uh, carousel? What jobs do you think will be the most uh, coveted by the uh, coaching free agents out there? Um, and what what are you hearing in terms of where some of these teams may be going? Well, in regards to uh, 
the firings. I mean, you mentioned, you know, Marvin Lewis. Uh, I didn't know if this day was ever going to come. So Yeah, I almost wondered if he had, like, partial stock in the, in the organization, in the franchise. Did, do you see that he's lobbying for Hugh Jackson to get the job? Yeah, he wants Hugh Jackson to get the job. Which I'm Wait. like, why... Why would he have any say? <laughs> I legitimately, there are people in NFL circles that don't believe that he was fired. They think that he got out of there. Now I don't know why <laughs> they think that. Like they're like Mike Brown did not fire this man. That's crazy. I mean, crazy. I they, they said he was fired, so I don't think that you would want to. They, they announced it as a firing. Yeah, I feel like I, he would have resigned if that was the case. But I mean, I don't know. The fact that he still has some say, and the fact that last week Adam Schefter said. You know, Marvin Lewis will will determine his future. Maybe he does add, you know put that into question yeah, a little bit. I know. I mean, uh, so that that firing was kind of crazy to see, but um, I, I mean, to me, the job that's most appealing is going to be the Packer job because of Aaron Rodgers. But I think that's like almost like a uh, it's kind of like a double edged sword with that because like yes, you got Aaron Rodgers, one of maybe the most talented guy that ever played the position, but then you also have Aaron Rodgers, and some people are saying maybe Aaron Rodgers isn't the most coachable guy. Is, is he a coach leader? Killer. You know, he got rid is of Mike McCarthy. Killer. It was very clear he wasn't on the same page with McCarthy, and McCarthy got him. He got him the hell out of there. So that's kind of a double-edged sword. Um, a lot of people are liking this Jets job. Everybody, you know, besides, uh, you know, um, besides who? I'm sorry. Oh yeah, Matt Campbell. And and the coach of Oklahoma seemed to be interested in it. <laughs> Yo, so I mean, it, it, it was when I read that Matt Campbell, coach of Iowa State in college football, declined to interview. I was like, what? Yeah, when I saw that, I, was like, I mean, that, I that's something that he's going to have to look. I mean, Matt Campbell will have his choice of jobs in both the NFL and the NFL and college football, college football especially. But that's one of those where like you may not get that chance again. I mean, he's a hot name now. You know, you better hope. You better hope yeah, until you win an Iowa he, State. He could be regretting that. He could be regretting that in a couple of years. That wouldn't surprise me. Um, but I mean, the Jets job. Yeah, besides Campbell and uh, Riley, everyone seems to be very hot in that job, which is understandable because of uh, the the progress Sam Darnold made in the second half of the season, especially towards the end. Some of the names are a little weird. I think this is an interesting coaching cycle, Kendall, because I think the Jets job is very appealing, but there's no the, – the coordinator and assistant names that being mentioned aren't very high profile and aren't on the surface very appealing. So when you get to the point where you see a guy like Cliff Kingsbury get a call for an interview for a head coach, this is a guy who was fired as head coach of Texas Tech after their three straight seasons of failing to finish the season with a 500 record, and is now the uh, offensive coordinator at USC. The fact that he could get a head coaching interview um, is kind of bizarre. I think it kind of speaks to everyone wanting to find the next Sean McVay, the next Matt Nagy, some handsome 35-year-old white dude who looks like he knows how to coach quarterbacks. And I hate to say it that way, but that's just how it looks when I see some of these names that uh, guys that are getting interviewed, especially someone like Kingsbury, who I think is actually a very good offensive mind. And I think if he was the offensive coordinator for the Jets, I would be 100% fine with that. But it's it's incredible that someone who has not shown that he could run a winning franchise or a winning organization 
in college is getting looks before guys who are actually coaching in the NFL. That's just that's surprising to me. Yeah, uh, it, it 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 makes you wonder. Like, I mean, we heard the whole thing about you know Condoleezza Rice is is a candidate for the for the Browns job, and I I do wonder if like these NFL uh, decision makers feel like anyone can do the job, or they feel like you know you don't have you like the the pre the normal prerequisites for being an NFL head coach have changed dramatically. You know, when it, we came from an era. I feel old by saying that. We came from an era when uh, <laughs> quarterbacks, they used to hand the ball off. No, they used to wear leather, leather helmets. <laughs> exactly. No, but, you know, I feel like in previous in previous eras, we had uh, situations where you generally were, uh, you were either a coordinator for a real contender, a team that was, you'd been a coordinator for a while, for a Super Bowl winner, or you had head coaching experience. College coaches were rarely touched because um, there's obviously the stigma that college coaches can't really coach NFL coaches or NFL players. Uh, same with mm-hmm. the NBA. But that has that stigma seems to have gone away. Uh, and now it's more about we just need to find gurus. And I think and it's less about being able to manage an organization and more about being able to strategize, uh, particularly offensively, as we get into this, you yeah. know, era of we need to score the most points to win games. I so I I feel like that prerequisite has changed, and so now we're seeing, like you said, guys, people trying to find the next Sean McVay, and the, the next Matt Nagy, and I don't know if it's that's a hard formula to to find, you know. Sean McVay, it's not like we get a Sean McVay every year. Yeah. You can, you know, it's fair to bring up the fact that uh, Matt Nagy was hired last year and, you know, Chicago really took off. But they also brought in Khalil Mack, which also helped. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And he's not an offensive player. But um, I feel like a lot of it's going to be on uh, those guys, for one, are also great coaches. You know, I think if, if Sean McVay were coaching Texas Tech, I think they're probably one of the best teams in the country year in and year out. If he knows how to, if he knows the college game, sure. I I don't know if Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury is a good head coach. I think he's a strong offensive mind that yeah. knows how to put together an air raid offense and can put up points and can develop quarterbacks. Obviously, what he did with Pat Mahomes at Texas Tech, yeah, and we did with all Case Keenum in Houston, and with Case Keenum in Houston, uh, I. Davis Webb was at Texas Tech for a little bit. Another NFL guy, uh, Baker Mayfield, Baker was, Mayfield was at Texas seconds, Tech he, for a minute. Him, so I wouldn't. So I don't think Cliff Kingsbury could take credit for <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know if that's a, really a notch on the belt, but um, <laughs> regardless, clearly he's had a long track record of NFL quarterbacks that have come through his programs. So that's that's a credit to Cliff Kingsbury, but at the same time, he hasn't won football games. And when has that not been a prerequisite for getting a head coaching job? <laughs> I've yeah. I'm I've a proven winner. In yeah, what, I mean, what can, position yeah. in sports? What coaching position? Really, what position in life can you not be good at your job and get promotions because you may have a certain skill that maybe maybe applies to a harder job than the one you were at? I I don't know yeah. how that works. Yeah, this is this is very bizarre. Um, again, the names that are being mentioned. 
I, I don't to buy. I think you're kind of onto something. I don't know if it's that the owners don't think that think anyone can do the job, but I think they do think that all they need. They're looking. It's almost like the NFL draft and the NBA draft. I think they're looking at more potential than they are what you've actually done. Because Adam Gates is getting an interview with the Jets, and he's going to be interviewed by a bunch of teams. And he, I mean, he has a losing record. So, yeah. so he's been a head coach. We just saw him coach with the Dolphins, and one playoff appearance in three years, back-to-back losing seasons. Uh, and he's going to get right back out on the street. But he's a young again. He's a young guy who at one point was the hot name and people feel like maybe if it didn't work out in Miami, maybe the reasons that weren't were out of his control and they look at his potential. They say, look, we know he knows the offensive game. Um, he's part of this kind of new offensive innovation. So while it didn't work in Miami, maybe it worked for me. And I think that's how these coaches, uh, these, these franchises are, are looking at it right now. And it, you know, a guy, Jim Caldwell, who can go to the Super Bowl, Mike, Tom, Mike, uh, Mike McCarthy can win a Super Bowl and they're competing neck and neck for jobs with guys who haven't done jack it's crazy but i just think i think teams i think honestly they can even look back to belichick as a guy who failed somewhere else and then became an icon like who would have thought that the the bill belichick that was coaching the browns was going to be the bill belichick we know today i think teams are probably not trying to close themselves off some of these guys who maybe have failed in their first few stops i saw someone mention uh john d filippo as a candidate for the Jets job and it's crazy. He just got fired. He just got fired in Minnesota as an offensive coordinator. His he did first a terrible year, job calling plays this year. His first year as an offensive coordinator. He was a quarterback coach for Carson Wentz. I was excited for him as an offensive coordinator. I was like, all right, let's see what he does. Does a terrible job. And now we're talking about giving him a head coaching job? Because he's young. I, I yeah, how crazy. does that how does that work where a guy like D Filippo can get a head coaching job? After doing a terrible job as offensive coordinator in Minnesota, with plenty of talent, I, 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 it makes no sense to me. Um, other for that for that Jet job, if I'm looking at anybody as a Jet fan, uh, I like to see Eric uh, Bieniemy maybe get the get the look. I know Andy yeah. Reid is a big part of what they do in terms of play calling and offensive scheming, but I mean the Chiefs' offense, I think even before this year, was always. Uh, uh, despite Alex Smith's shortcomings, always a very kind of creative offense. They always found ways to kind of move the ball in ways that were probably different than most teams. And this was this was his first year in KC. But how they transformed that team this year, uh, I think that you know I, I like someone who's who's kind of coach NFL players and and kind of organize a high power offense. And he's seen uh, early success working with a young quarterback. Of uh, the guys I've heard. I think he might be the the guy I'd be most interested in, but again, none of these guys really wow. For me, that I think the Jets, if I were the Jets, I would give Mike McCarthy, bring stability, brings a level of uh, respectability to the organization that they haven't had in a while. Uh, legitimacy, not I mean, not saying Todd Bowles wasn't a very good coach or even Rex Ryan wasn't a very good coach, but like Mike McCarthy's won a Super Bowl and he's competed. His Green Bay teams have always been strong. He's never had a, an awful Green Bay team uh, besides when Aaron Rodgers was hurt. And this year was kind of a tough year, obviously. But generally, I mean, oh, again, he's also close to Aaron Rodgers, so maybe that's why. But regardless, um, I feel like the last time, a lot of people brought up the last time the Jets have been had a 
great coach. It was Bill Parcells, and he was also the last guy they hired with prior experience. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I feel like Mike McCarthy seems like he'll be the, he seems like the guy that would make the most sense for the Jets. Um, Brian Kelly's also being talked about. In yeah, Tampa I've seen Bay, him come up now too. I mean, I don't know why he's Notre Dame for Tampa Bay for ten million dollars, and you get and, and warm weather. I guess I don't know. Warm weather. They're giving him football operations power. Uh, I don't know why Brian Kelly, but I guess why not? If you're Tampa Bay, you I have think Tampa Bay. Yeah, I think Tampa Bay's in a position where like they just need a splash. <laughs> yeah, I, I, no, honest, you got nothing going for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, when they got Gruden, like, they fired Dungy, and, like, they, they couldn't go backwards. Like, they needed to make a splash. So they threw a lot of money at a guy who was a splash. And, like, it worked fantastic. They won a Super Bowl. Maybe they feel like they can catch lightning in a bottle with Brian Kelly. I, and remember, this team, they, they wanted to hire Gruden last year. But Gruden they did, was going to yeah. get the $100 million bag from Oakland, so he was right. never going to go to Tampa. So clearly they 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 are prepared to make a splash. They're prepared to to break the bank a little bit for a head coach because you're going to hire Gruden. That's that's good. That's what it would have taken. So they're I gonna... just don't get why. I to me, Kelly's temperament doesn't work for the NFL. He's definitely so, calmed down. No and one's listening. No one's. Li- I know, but no one's listening to him. I still don't think in the NFL. I, I agree. I agree, and I, I don't think he's been. While he's been successful, I don't think he's been successful enough for me to think that, like, like you said, that act is gonna work. I, I, yeah. I am. I'm one guy that I'm. A, I'm a guy that thinks that Nick Saban could work in the NFL. Um, mm-hmm. I think because he's won so much, I think people would respect him. I think guys would would play hard for him. I don't think Brian Kelly has that same cachet. I don't think there's any coach in college that has that same cachet. There are some guys like Lincoln Riley. For example, that maybe able to scheme themselves to success. David Shaw, you know, guys that know football. Chris Peterson, I think, could coach in the NFL. But uh, Nick Saban is one of the few guys that I think like guys would really, really play for. Um, what what job do you think is like the worst? What's the one if you were a guy you would just stay away from? I'm staying away from the Bengals. Bengals. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, my guy the Bengals can't stand the Bengals. You know. I mean, it's crazy, but they actually still have, they have some talent still, but we, we, we're kind of like, and maybe you don't understand Kendall, but I remember what the Bengals were before Marvin Lewis were there. Like, you think they were a crap show, (laughs) like the Marvin Lewis. I mean, this team was just out of control for like a decade under what had to be like six or seven other different coaches every year. So... The Browns, I think they they deserve Martin Lewis, Marvin Lewis a, a debt of gratitude for how he was able to stabilize that franchise to the point where they appear to be like a normal franchise. But I don't know if the old Mike Brown and the old Bengal ways are going to show up as soon as Marvin Lewis leaves uh, Cincinnati. I know they I think the chances go up exponentially if they somehow give Hugh Jackson the job. So <laughs> I, I, to me, that would be the job if I was a coach. I don't trust the front office. I don't trust the ownership. I had to see them succeed with another coach before I would seriously look at them because they don't have a quarterback unless someone thinks that they could reclimate Andy Dalton. I, I don't think so. So they don't have a quarterback. Yeah, they have a receiver who they may have to move, though. Who knows? Maybe they'll try to bring him back. Joe, uh, uh, 
Meeks has had a great season. Mixon, sorry. Uh, he looks like a player, but I don't know. Is it, it's too much uncertainty in Cincinnati. That would be a job I wouldn't touch. Uh, the one thing I wanted to talk about, EJ, was also um, Steve Wilkes, uh, obviously in Arizona, got fired uh, one year. Yeah. And I, it, it brings up a troubling trend. You know, obviously Steve Wilkes, African-American head coach. Uh, Vance Joseph, African-American head coach. Todd Bowles and Marvin Lewis as well. That leaves now three minority coaches in the NFL. Um, I believe one minority executive, two of them, one we talked about, Marvin Lewis, I mean, not Marvin Lewis, Mike Tomlin and Ron Rivera, uh, two guys that are on the hot seat. Could have been out of a job this cycle. I'm not, I'm not sure. (laughs) I I mean, I, I would have made the case that they probably should have been out of a job this cycle, but, um, it does bring up a traveling trend of the, I mean, the numbers are going down. We're going backwards when it comes to. Uh, minorities in the yeah. NFL in in coaching positions and in management positions. Um, what do you, what's what's your take on this? Anthony Lynn's doing a great job in LA. Um, yeah, I mean, we kind I kind of touched on it a little bit. I was a little maybe crass with my commentary on Kingsbury, but there's it, it, no lie with the numbers that it's much harder for black assistants to get to the coordinator level in order to get realistic looks as head coaches. And when they are head coaches, it appears the leash is a lot shorter. Yeah, I don't think there's any excuse for uh, Look, I understand. I'm not a Broncos fan or Cardinals fan, but I think Vance Joseph and and, uh, Steve Wilkes got a a raw deal, I'll be honest. I mean, Wilkes definitely. Wilkes, to me, that's crazy. Like, that team was a – we knew that team was maybe the worst team in the league. They had no talent. They had no offensive line. Uh, the best player is like 40 years old and retiring. Um, you have a rookie quarterback who was very, very wet behind hurt. the ears. I mean, everybody's just clued in on David Johnson. I mean, that team was a mess. And I don't, I, I, I don't, to me, I don't know how, who. Do you want a miracle who, worker? Yeah, who's coming in there and winning eight games with that team? No one. So the Wolf team was crazy. Vance Joseph. Darren Rock's fans are complaining about him a lot. I mean, two years, they had a big jump off from where they were the year before to when he first got there, though there had been uh, major issues still with the quarterback situation since Peyton Manning left. I mean, I don't know. I, 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 neither of these firings sat great with me, especially the, the, the Wilkes one. I guess the concern or the issue I have is just that, like, again, it's hard for these guys to get some of these jobs. And Joseph, you know, the, the the Broncos, in theory, wasn't a terrible job. But also, I think a lot of these black coaches feel pressure to take on some of these awful jobs. When you say, okay, why are these black coaches lasting not as long as white coaches in a, in a more macro level? Most of the time, it's not like there's a coach who won 15, 13 games is getting fired. Almost all these guys, they're not, the team's not doing well, so therefore they fire them. But I think I wonder how many times these guys are taking jobs that aren't quite the you know quick fix jobs. They're clearly jobs that are going to take a long time, or jobs that uh, there is no immediate light at the end of the tunnel, and they're they're unable to kind of withstand the outcry for why are we losing all these games, and they really can't 
see through the whole rebuild. I think that, you know, that's an issue for, I think, a lot of these coaches, not just black coaches. I think white coaches have that same issue in terms of keeping the job. But it just seems like maybe the black coaches, because there's so few of them getting opportunities, they may be more willing to take that risk with some of these jobs that stink. Because the Cardinals' job was awful, and Wolves took it. And maybe if he were a white coach with more opportunities, he wouldn't have felt needed to take this job. Or maybe he was a coach, a white coach who... Maybe I didn't get interviewed this time, or maybe I only got this job offer this time around. Maybe I'll turn down this offer and like wait for other better offers to come around because I will get that other chance. Maybe he would have not taken his job. But the reality for black coaches is they don't have those options to just do that. So few of them even get to be coordinators, let alone head coaches. So it's a it's a problem. I don't know how they fix it, but it's definitely it's not good that you know Black Monday this year was literally Black Monday. <laughs> like it, all coaches that are black. I mean, Jeez. that's not that's not good. But it is what it, that is what happened. And um, I don't think that it's you know a lot of people say, oh, why are we making it about race? I don't. I think I don't think that's it's unhealthy to to talk about what are obvious facts. And I don't think you know no one's shouting anyone's a racist. I don't yeah, even nah, think. Nah, nah. I don't, and I don't. And I don't think that these owners or these front offices are like, oh, they're being racist by getting letting these guys go. I don't go. think they're think, intentionally leaving minorities out. No, but. I just think the circumstances, we gotta look at the circumstances of why this is happening. I mean, yes. again, you look at the fact that so many uh, black coaches can't become coordinators for whatever reason. They're just not being promoted to be at that level. And those are the guys who get the most job offers. And then the job offers they get are so few and far between that they, I think they're taking bad jobs a lot of the times. You know? All the guys that got fired, with the exception of maybe Todd Bowles, and I can even say even Todd Bowles, all took terrible jobs. Yeah. All, all those jobs, like when Marvin Lewis took the Bengals job, that was a terrible job. I, I don't Vance, know if Vance Joseph the, the, took a terrible job. I'll be honest. And I said, I, and I said Vance Joseph wasn't a bad one. So that's, okay. he exclude him. But I mean, Bowles took the Jets at a time where they had missed the playoffs a bunch of years in a row and they were starting to rebuild. Yeah. Um, Wilkes took a terrible job with the Cardinals. Marvin Lewis, nobody remembers. Like people, some people listening to the show might have been born when he took the Bengals job. I'm not sure. But, really, Anthony Lynn when he got the Chargers job was really a good job. No, he, all these guys take terrible jobs, and if they're able to survive it, it's great. And like you know, Mike Tomlin was like blessed to like get the Steelers. But how many of those guys get those jobs? None yeah. of them do. No one gets to coach the Eagles, coach the. Uh, no one gets to coach the Cowboys. You know, they've kind of been a dumpster fire, but. Those, those jobs, those like teams that are always in the spotlight and always good, they don't seem to go to black coaches. That's right. not by accident. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. You know, we've had guys, I mean, you know, Jim Caldwell's had, you know, he had the opportunity to coach Peyton Manning. That's, that's a great example. But that was him um, taking over for a black coach. Yeah, the, probably the most who, instrumental in NFL who was his, who was He was under, you know? Yeah. So... That was very, that's a very special circumstance. And that was Tony Dungy taking the Buccaneers job, which was a terrible job. He turned them around, still got fired, but he at least earned the respect from winning all those games. And they didn't get a great job with the Colts. Yeah. But again, all these guys had to go through these, like, it's like you had to, you had to thread these needles to get to these opportunities. Now, like I said, Mike Tomlin's like the outlier where right. he did a great job for like one or two years as a coordinator and then. The Roonies were shocked and impressed with him, and they just hired him. But that's not the story for almost everyone else. 
yeah, you know, it's just going to be an interesting trend to look at going forward in the NFL. See, if there's any way uh, there's something there's something that can be done to uh, combat this trend, this unfortunate trend. But uh, let's move on to college football real quick. We've got uh, Alabama and Clemson playing for the 90th time in the college football playoff era. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, the fourth year in a row that we'll, we will see Alabama play Clemson. Third time in the national championship game. Last year they played each other in the uh, college football semifinal, college football playoff semifinal. Um, Alabama looked uh, pretty, I, I, would, I would say pretty strong as is uh playing it lightly. Uh I would say putting it lightly. Uh Alabama pretty much rolled against Oklahoma. Oklahoma put a little bit of pressure in the second half. Kyler Murray put a little bit of pressure offensively, but uh Tua was played a nearly perfect game. 24 for 27 uh with four touchdowns. He had more touchdowns than incompletions, which shows you how dynamic he was. And in the other semifinal, we saw Clemson, if Alabama rolled, Clemson demolished. I don't know which word is more strong, but I think you can get the the tone that demolished. Uh, Clemson absolutely demolished uh, Notre Dame in their uh, their semifinal game. EJ, we're getting uh, Alabama versus Clemson again for the fourth time. One, is this good or bad for college football? And two, uh-huh. uh, who do you got in this game? Um, is it? Uh, I, I would say that it's it's bad for college football. I mean, bad is a strong word. I don't want to say it's bad because I think at the end of the day, these are the two best teams. So I would rather see the two best teams than Alabama and just someone else for the sake of someone else and have them just destroy some other team like Clemson and Georgia for whatever reason are the only two teams that seem to be able to compete with Alabama on any level in these kind of games. So this is our only chance of seeing a competitive game in the championship. So bad is a strong word, but I do think it's not good for college football, excuse me, that, um, that there aren't a more, that there isn't a more plethora of teams that are at that elite level. It's clear there's Alabama and, and then Clemson and then maybe Georgia and then everyone else. Even Georgia like, looks very weak. Well, Georgia's lost. Yeah, they look terrible against Texas. I, some of these bowl games, I, I don't want to like, just like anyway, I don't, yeah. I don't want to take so much from them. Though I, I know we'll do a, a segment next, next segment. But, um, but I, at the end of the day, like Georgia didn't even look great. So that's not great. I, I, I hope that at some point the rest of these teams step up. I think that they will. Honestly, I think that we look at Georgia's recruiting. Look at Texas's recruiting, um, Ohio State's recruiting. I mean, these teams Oregon. will catch up. Oregon, like I, I don't think I think Alabama is in a weird spot with these last three or four years. It just was like crazy, and there was no one that can compete. But I think maybe we're maybe two or three years, maybe two or three years away, which is scary. That means Alabama may win like the rest of these championships um, in this was decade there. and the yeah. next decade. Yes, yeah, so at least while two is there. But I think at that point, like it'll start to balance itself out again. We're just in a rough patch. This is a dynasty, and that's, that's what happens. Yeah, I I think this is bad for college football because we're not getting to the point where Alabama wins. Alabama, like we're getting to, like these games are big, 
Like, I'm excited for the the Clemson game. I think a lot of people are. We were very excited for the Kyler Murray versus Tua showdown. So, I don't, it's not like they're gonna, it's gonna hurt ratings, but it's getting to the point now where people, like, they expect Alabama's gonna win. When it happens, no one cares. No, it's not surprising. Um, we've had the is Nick Saban the GOAT conversation, like, every year now, feels like <laughs> at the end of the year. Um, and we'll probably have it next week, assuming Alabama wins. Maybe, maybe I'm maybe I'm not giving Clemson enough credit, but it now it just feels like we're getting to the point now where it's like women's college basketball, where UConn is consistently, if not the best team, a Final Four team. Uh, if they don't make the Final Four, then something grave happened. I feel yeah. like it's, it's like it's like that with Alabama, where if they don't make the playoff, then that. That then it was an awful job. Nick Saban must have done an awful job, or someone must have been hurt. Multiple guys had to have gotten hurt. Like they, that's how much talent they have. That's how much better they are in the competition. Um, and it's, I, I think the difference. It's even worse now because they have a quarterback in Tua that's so dynamic. You know, before it was like, well, Alabama. You know, they're just going to dominate you with defense. They're not that exciting to watch, but. You know, it's it's gonna be hard for them to really blow you out because they don't play that. They don't. They're not that dynamic offensively. You know, if you're a really good team, it's gonna be hard for you to, for them to blow you out. Right, now, yeah. like, they can beat you with offense. They didn't beat Oklahoma with defense. I mean, the defense was, was strong early on, but eventually Oklahoma found a rhythm offensively. But Alabama was just way too uh, yeah. potent offensively. For yeah, Oklahoma, Oklahoma can't get up off the field. Yeah, and you know, some people may say. Well, you know, Oklahoma's defense was weak, and they've been weak all year, but Alabama has made every defense they've played, besides Georgia, look weak. So I I don't know if it's because of Georgia or because of Alabama. We'll see on Monday what happens in that Clemson game, but I, I do wonder if this is a dangerous trend for college football because, look, Notre Dame, the top-five team, looked like they couldn't compete against Clemson. I mean, yeah. And Clemson is a team I don't expect. I, I think this championship game could be close, but I don't expect them to be Alabama. Um, they really couldn't compete against Alabama last year. Uh, so is that how far Alabama is from the rest of the competition? Well, Notre Dame was kind of a, an outlier. Look, I know a lot of Notre Dame fans felt took some kind of pride in Georgia looking as bad as they did against Texas, but Notre Dame was not as talented as any of those other three teams that were playing. They, they weren't. They had a great season. I'm not saying they didn't deserve it. But if we're really going to have a conversation about the best four teams, we all knew based on what Notre Dame did this season that they were not one of the four most talented teams. It was obvious. So, you know, they went against a team who clearly was, was at that elite level, and they got punched. But it's hard to say that that was Notre Dame team could have had three losses, and they ended up undefeated, and then this is what happened. So I don't want to take too much into what happened with them and say that this is a, such a bad thing for college football that a team like that can look like that in the post-playoff. To me, they weren't that great a team, uh, and they got exposed. But Texas, to me, is, is better than Notre Dame. Really? Yeah, I was at that before. Yeah. I think they were better than them before this game. If they played them on a neutral site, I think Texas would have had a great chance to beat them. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame, they didn't impress me. I mean, like I said, I said before the that game that looked pit. We played both Clemson and Notre Dame, and we almost beat Notre Dame, and we should have beaten Notre Dame, and Clemson 
on the same, you know, on a neutral site, just completely railroaded us. So, uh, I knew for a fact that Clemson was much better than Notre Dame, but it, it's just alarming that we can have a team like Notre Dame. And again, they're an outlier because, like you said, they don't play in a conference a little more. They're a little more independent. They're not a little more. They are independent. So it's a little different of a conversation. But like Ohio State, they look great against Washington, but you know they lost Purdue. Who? Uh, who did Purdue lost to Auburn by like eighty points? Like yeah, they gave up fifty at the half. Yeah, you know, like yeah, they, Auburn should have put a hundred on that just to send a message. But um, so yeah, I mean, it's an interesting discussion in college football. But uh, who do you got in this game? I'm gonna go with Bama. Uh, I am. I do wonder how young Trevor Lawrence is gonna play against this kind of defense. Uh, I, you know, the kid is talented. I mean, I enjoyed watching. I mean, he's been fun to watch all year, but I did enjoy watching him against Notre Dame. Some of the dimes this guy can make. You know that this guy is, he is the guy in a year or two. No question about that. He's just still growing up. Maybe he could grow up real fast against that defense. I think Clemson has a weapon around him to make it a game, but it, I just think it's it's, it's going to be too tough a task because. You also got to take into the fact that Tua Tungvaluwa looks very good um, and very sharp coming off that ankle surgery. So I don't think he's going to get any favors from Tua maybe not playing at his top level. Trevor's going to have to play well four quarters to win this game. That It's hard for any quarter to play well for four quarters, especially an 18-, 19-year-old freshman. So I'm going to go with the Tide. I'm going to say they win by like 10 points. I think it would be pretty competitive, but Alabama will kind of uh, pull away in the end. I think I think Alabama really puts it on Clemson. I'll be honest. Um, wow, really? Yeah, I I want I like I like Trevor Lawrence. You know, I want to see him play well, but I don't know if I think Alabama's offense I think is too potent for this Clemson team. And maybe I'm not giving Clemson's defense enough credit. Clemson's defense really showed up against Notre Dame, but I I don't know. I mean, Tua was talking about how his ankle felt like seventy five percent, and he he played a nearly perfect game. And even after the game, like ah, you know, my ankle. They asked him how the ankle was. He like, ah, it, I don't know. I'm not really. But confident OU, in but it. OU gives no resistance. That's true. It's going to be a totally different getting, animal. They were getting pushed back five six yards in the first quarter. I don't know who Oklahoma defensive play. coordinator is, but what I do know is it's not Brent Venables. And Brent Venables will have <laughs> something. They probably wish they'd bring him back. Yeah, honestly, uh, I forgot he was he was at Oklahoma. He used to be there, OU, uh, DC for a long time. I, yeah, I was like, I knew there was like a connection there, but yeah. Um, regardless, uh, Brent Venables will have a game plan uh, for his for his Alabama offense, but I don't know if their game plan can stop Jerry Judy. I don't know if it can stop Henry Ruggs on the outside. Uh, I don't know if it stops Damian Harris or Najee Harris or Jacobs. Like they've they've got way too many they've got way too many weapons. With a dynamite quarterback and a defense that is is still very strong, what Clemson's gonna have to do is they're gonna have to exploit. Alabama's got a young secondary. You know, Oklahoma did a good job in the second half of really they challenged Patrick Sertain Jr., uh, who's just a freshman, and kind of made him, you know, make try have to make plays and against a top receiver in uh, Hollywood Brown, he struggled a little bit. Clemson's got some receivers that can play as well. And uh, that's gonna be that's gonna be the key. If 
Lawrence can really spread the field, which we know he ha- we know he has the ability to uh, sling it. If he can get the ball to, to Renfro and to T. Higgins, that yeah. can that could be the difference in this game. But I, I just don't see I, I don't see a, a scenario where I can see a scenario where the game's close, but I just don't see a scenario where Clemson wins this game. I I got Alabama I think, by three touchdowns. Yeah, I think wow, three touchdowns. I, that's a lot, but I think it's great. So I, but, I understand it. I can't see more than three touchdowns. That would surprise me. But one thing I will say, if you're looking at, for any reason to believe in a Clemson upset, I'd say look at if Clemson's defensive line, which is obviously down one of its best players, uh, Lawrence, if, they're, if they find a way to dominate like they have in past uh, games against Alabama, then that, that's, their, that's their ticket to me. I know you said... You know, exploiting that Alabama secondary. I think offensively that is the case. I think defensively they're gonna have to get stopped somewhere. And Clemson's front line is ridiculous. I mean, against every any other offensive line, including Notre Dame's All American laden offensive line, they dominate people. So that would be the matchup I would look at if you're looking for a Clemson upset. If they can find a way to just beat up Alabama in the front line and really make Tua really have to work that ankle that he says is not 100 percent. And put some pressure on them. Oh, you couldn't do anything. They couldn't get any pressure on them. They couldn't. Uh, they couldn't close any holes. Like I said, they get pushed off the ball five, six yards every single time they had a run play. They had no chance against that Alabama offensive line. But if Clemson's defensive line can get some push, that is where I think an upset is possible. All right. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all looking forward to that um, come Monday. Uh, we'll also have a Captain Marvel. Uh, you know teaser or some footage so we'll be talking about that on new generation hero talk podcast uh during the national championship game but uh in the bowl season ej uh we had more than just this national championship game and more than just the uh college football playoff uh so we're gonna do who's slammed and who's trash college football bowl edition so ej who's slams this week uh, flames this week. So flames. I'm gonna go. Well, I'll start with. Oh, okay, I'll go. You want to start with trash? I mean, I, I kind of want to start with trash. All right, start with because, trash. Only because it's my beloved Miami Canes. Jeez. Uh, yeah, Wait, Jesus. I hate to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to do it, but I had to give uh, my Miami uh, Hurricanes the trash segment for this week. They had an embarrassing showing. In my hometown, New York City. Uh, yeah, why did you go to the game? Uh, I had no interest in watching that sorry team in 40-degree <laughs> weather. And I was very smart not to do that. So I, I, they were playing in New York City, which is, of course, where we're from. We're not from the Bronx. And we're definitely not from the Bronx. I'm a Queens boy and do not like the Yankees. But they were playing at Yankee Stadium. Maybe that's why. In a game, yeah, and a game that they were favored by six. They got blown out by 30 to Wisconsin in a game in which I believe they had five total completions and four interceptions. Uh, I think they had six first downs the whole game. If that, it was as pathetic a performance as you could imagine. After the game, the AD says, me and Rick, we're going to figure this out. Next day, Rick retires. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't know what, what happened there. From the 80s saying me and Rick are committed to working this out. And then 
uh, two days later, Rick's like, uh, "Nah, actually, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna just get out of here now." So uh, it's been a, a whirlwind week. While they are trashed with that performance and that debacle after the performance, in which it was the whole thing with the Miami debacle, the quarterback who was supposed to start, the Cozy Perry, couldn't didn't start. It might have been because he released a sex tape on his Snapchat. And the guy that did start, Malik Rozier, who's a fifth-year senior who was talking trash to Miami fans on Twitter for saying that he was terrible all year, which he was, he goes out there and puts on that pathetic performance. And then then I said the whole AD conversation after the game, it was a mess. But if there's any silver lining, they did hire a new coach pretty quickly. Uh, it was the guy who was supposed to coach your Temple Owls, Manny Diaz. Who My Temple Owls. Yeah, you're, that's your school. So they're your Temple Owls. Man, he has uh, reneged, I guess, his, his decision to, to coach the, the Owls. He had already signed like 17 recruits with the Owls. But uh, he's coming back to Miami to be the head coach. I, I do think that there is some silver lining in that because uh, Diaz's defense was even good in that game. I know they gave it 35 points, but, I mean, they were on the field the entire game against a offense of running offense of running game that is ridiculous and for three quarters they were awesome so and then they gave up like two quick touchdowns so it was like they, for a lot of the game they were able to keep Wisconsin off the off the scoreboard Diaz is a great defensive coordinator he's been great he's brought great energy to the program so I'm excited to see what he can do but for everything that preceded Diaz being hired that was trash so I had to start with Miami if I'm going to go Flames, I'm going to go Dwayne Haskins. Uh, Dwayne Haskins uh, put on the kind of show he needed to do to secure, to me, his spot as the number one quarterback in this draft, especially now that Herbert is going back to uh, Oregon. Um, I thought he was great against Washington. I thought he showed great mobility in the pocket. I thought he was accurate. Against a strong Washington defense. Yes. Yes, it is. And, and the fact that he was able to kind of pretty much have his way with them I, I kind of I don't know for for whatever reason I didn't realize that the, the totality of like his numbers this year, like, fifty touchdowns. He threw for fifty touchdowns. Yeah, like and like you know almost five thousand yards, like four four fifty. I think he was in four, you know four thousand five hundred. I think he was in that ballpark somewhere. I mean, his numbers are crazy. So I I kind of don't know why people think that he can't be the number one pick or that he like is like somehow like this is a down year because he's the number one guy. I don't uh, get it, really. I mean, Haskins, he's still he's tall. He, he's strong. He can. He has great act. He has good accuracy. Um, he can hit guys at all three levels. What is that? What is there I'm missing? I feel like he just doesn't wow me. I I, I watch him and I, I he's better than Cardell Jones. I I think some people probably get scared off by Cardell Jones a little bit. I think he's better than Cardell Jones, but I, I feel like. And also, he hasn't. He's only been a starter for a year. That's I mean, but so his like, one year he's I been mean, incredible. Trubisky was a starter for a year. He was the number three pick in the draft, right? Which I also didn't agree with that, but maybe I was wrong. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. He's kind of raw. They haven't won at a high level. I mean, he's great this year, but, uh, like he doesn't have like the. When I look at quarterback, when I evaluate quarterbacks now, I think the thing that I look for the most and it's something I got from watching the elite 11 for as many years as i have but i look at I, the thing i look for the most now is the it factor something they talk about 
And I don't know if Dwayne Haskins has. He just hasn't proven it. All the elite Why? quarterbacks he lost have one game because he lost one game in La- in Lafayette, Indiana. I mean, that's the only. That's only. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Like that's the only thing you could say about him. Like I know Tua that's, has it. I know Kyler Murray has it. But B- I, Baker's proven the biggest he game it. he had. The biggest game of his life. He's had. He scored. He threw six touchdowns against Michigan. And in the second biggest game, he played the way he did yesterday against Washington. I don't know what else he has to prove. He had one bad game against Purdue, which. I, I, no one's going to explain why that team played so badly. It wasn't just him. The whole team didn't play well. But I, I don't know. I don't get it. I, that's all I can say. I, it, I, don't, I don't get it. I how do you, how, what do you think about Kyler Murray real quick, based off what you saw? Murray's good, man. I mean, he, he's really good. Should right? he, I mean, regardless of whether or not he should I would or should I would take Haskins ahead of him, I personally. Haskins ahead. Right. But, I mean, I think Murray is like, a, he's like an elite prospect like in this year's class. I, He'd be number two. I mean, the way he moves, his accuracy—the guy is really good. I worry so, about both guys. I, I, I'm, I'm willing to bet my franchise more on Murray, from like a, a gamer standpoint, than Haskins. I, I, I think the only thing about Murray is that I don't think he's a gimmick, but I think that your offense would have to be a little more gimmicky to make him work. Yeah, he's not. A I think Has, I think Haskins could be good in almost. He could be good in almost any offense. I'm not saying he would be, but I think I, I, my, the offense wouldn't concern me about what I'm doing with Dwayne Haskins. The offense, I think I'd have to do a lot of creative things to make Murray work. And he could still work great because he's such a great athlete. But uh, that would be my only concern, which is why I would probably lead Haskins. All right. What, who's your flame to trash real quick, Kendall? Yes. Uh, for me, uh, I'll start with Flames. I'm going to go with uh, UCF. And that's obviously probably strange to some people because they're coming off a loss. In it's strange, the, strange to me. So yes. you got me as one of those people. <laughs> coming off a loss in uh, what bowl were they in? The, the Peach Bowl? I don't know. These bowls. Yeah, are, uh, no, they were in the Fiesta Bowl. Fiesta Bowl, yeah. These bowls, are, they're all in domes. They're all the same. Yeah, they, yeah <laughs> this, it's getting hard for me to keep up. <laughs> I'm like, we got the Peach Bowl. The Especially Sugar when bowl. like there are like, bowl the games that bowl. matter and then bowl games that don't matter. It's like all confusing. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, whatever. But, um, so, yeah, they were playing in the, uh, in the Fiesta Bowl against LSU. They lost, but I'm making them flames because, you know, we, there are people that are using this, uh, you know, obviously you as a Miami fan, they've been touting themselves as the the best team in Florida. So, you know, obviously they've had a target on their backs and there are people that are now coming out and saying they were frauds or this proves why we don't need a, a playoff, that they don't deserve a spot. And that they're clearly not great. For me, on the on the contrary, I think they proved that they can compete on any given night against any given team in the country. I think LSU is a very strong program. Um, they outplayed uh, UCF uh, this weekend, but UCF obviously was playing without their quarterback, Mackenzie Milton, who in his own right could have been a Heisman Trophy candidate had he not been injured. Um, it. it it's obviously LSU was also playing without Greedy Williams, so there's it goes back and forth. Yeah, they were missing like nine starters on defense, something crazy. Yeah, like it, which it, some of it was injuries, suspensions, and NFL draft. It was a mixer, but it was like half of the second team defense was out there for LSU. Yeah, but I mean, USD Dev didn't have their quarterback. So yeah, exactly. Um, fair is fair. And look, LSU outplayed them, and that's on Josh Heupel. That's on UCF. 
I'm not giving some people saying I don't count that loss. The loss counts. I mean, I think bowl games are, are stupid to begin with, but the loss counts just as much as the win counts if they would have won, just like the Auburn win counted last year. Um, but I think it's their team that won 25 straight games. So hats off to UCF, hats off to the program, and whatever happened this weekend should not change people's minds on whether or not they deserved a spot or whether or not they deserve a spot in future playoffs. I, I know for a fact the committee is going to use this as, like, look what happened last year. We put them on the stage and they lost. No way we're putting them in, even though they're undefeated. But uh, that should not be taken into consideration. Uh, but, unfortunately, it probably will be. Uh, trash this week. Uh, I'm going with Kirby Smart. You know, we saw the Sugar Bowl this week. Texas was playing Georgia. And Texas railroaded Georgia. I mean, yeah. absolutely... Uh, obliterated them in a game that I'm pretty sure New Orleans is closer to Athens than Austin, so they had. Uh, I don't know. Is it pretty much a split? I, it might be an even. Split. I mean, I've done the flight from Austin to New Orleans. I so shockingly, I just realized. Uh, that's a short flight. I, my girlfriend Andrea is here. How long is the flight from Austin to New Orleans? No, it wasn't four hours, right? Four hours? Oh, we did have a layover. Oh, yeah, because we stopped in Houston, right? I bet directly probably like three. Yeah, we're thinking maybe directly it was like it's three. We had layovers. I kind of threw everything up. But I don't know if Athens, Georgia is closer than Austin to New Orleans. I think it might be about even. It Yeah, it might be about even. So maybe that. From Austin to New Orleans. Yeah, yeah, sorry, Andre is still talking in the background. Hour and a half? Yeah, we go. Yeah, I knew it wasn't no three hours. Yeah, it's only an hour and a half flight. Yeah, she was confused about the New York flight to Austin. But yeah, no, it's about a, it's only about an hour and a half flight. So I, 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 that distance is probably about even. Long so short. Thank you, Andre. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so nobody had a home field advantage, which was cool. But, um, on a neutral site, Georgia got destroyed. And, um, Georgia had they didn't have a lot to play for, but they had their their reputation to play for. In Texas, Tom Herman. First of all, first of all, shouts out to Tom Herman because he's won two straight bowl games. They beat Missouri last year in a game which he was clowning Drew Locke, and then this year they beat Clemson. Uh, not Clemson, Georgia on on a huge stage at the Sugar Bowl. So shouts out to him. But Kirby Smart, Jake Fromm was awful last night, and. Look, I understand Jake Fromm's your guy. I understand you won a lot of games with Jake Fromm last year. Almost won a national championship with Jake Fromm last year. But you got a guy in Justin Fields who said he's probably going to transfer. Um, he hasn't said that, but it seems like he's probably going to transfer. Uh, he suited up. He's willing to play. He hasn't quit on the team yet. He's, gonna, he's out there ready to play if need be. In the uh, Sugar Bowl, he was, again, the number one player in the country coming out of high school as a quarterback. How do you not put him in the game? There were plenty of opportunities to put Justin Fields in the game last night, and he elected not to. Now, you told you he said Justin Fields, he said he wanted Justin Fields back. Kirby Smart said this. He said, I, I would love to have Justin Fields back. This was before the game. How yeah. do you not play him? 
if you really, if you're serious. I mean, I don't think he was being serious, clearly. But that just means that you're lying to the media, which I guess does happen. But, like, how can you really stay with a straight face you want the kid back if you're going to not play him in a situation where the guy ahead of him was playing awful? I mean, Kendall, to me... In an exhibition game. It's ironic, Kendall, but I actually think he did that because it was an exhibition game. I think that he didn't want the controversy. There's already a controversy. If somehow Fields comes back, there's going to be a massive controversy next year. But I don't think he wanted the controversy. Well, yeah. But even for... There's any way he was. It'd be a controversy. But I don't think he wanted the controversy for an exhibition game to put out a guy who he knows is probably out the door. And if Fields goes out there and plays unbelievable, then uh, he leaves, and Georgia fans are like, why wasn't he playing all year? Maybe it would be LSU if he would have played. That's, what, that's, like, what, that's the conversation. It's like maybe he so, felt like, yeah, Fields. That's, he, a national, that's a playoff game. Fields is getting out there. He's not getting out there in a game that doesn't. It means a lot. It's pride. It's a sugar bowl. I'm not saying it doesn't mean anything, but in, in that, it's, a, it's still an exhibition, so to speak. So I'm not putting him out there in a game like that. Just to create a crazy controversy and make that, me look like it, an idiot, yeah, yeah, it just that could only make him look bad. <laughs> but you look bad not playing him. Now you got Georgia fans being like, "So you don't want to play the best players?" I clearly Fromm can't be that much better than Fields. I mean, he doesn't look he great either way. But I think that that doomsday scenario of Fields going out there, winning the game, and then leaving is way worse than whatever he's dealing with today. It is. Fields, look, if Fields goes out there and <laughs> and he goes to Ohio State and wins the Heisman next year. Then that was th- it was still going to be worse. a huge egg on Kirby Smart's face if he also won the Sugar Bowl for Georgia this year. How would that look? It would look look. That would look crazy. I would still be at look. At least I got my Sugar Bowl W. Miraculous victory. If you want a miraculous Sugar Bowl compromise victory on the back of Jacob on Justin Fields, and then he went to Ohio State and won the Heisman, that would look crazy. That would look. It would be like, how did you let this guy go? Well, you saw what he had. At least at this. At least they didn't see. What he had, technically, they could make the argument, oh, we didn't know what he had or we believed in Jake. You can't even make that argument if he wins the Sugar Bowl. It, he has no out. Yeah. So I get why he did it. I'm not saying he was right, but I, I get why he did it. Hey, look, all, I, all I'll say is this. If I'm a quarterback, and I'm a, if I'm a top five quarterback, and I have my pick of whatever school I can go to, no way, I don't care where I'm from. I could be from Athens, Georgia. No way I'm going to Georgia. My thing is these guys, yo, stop going to schools where they have no loyalty. Because I know Kirby Smart. No, I mean, look, just, Jake Fromm no, clearly I'm so, loyal to right, the like – I, I mean, Kirby Smart clearly loyal to Jake Fromm for whatever reason. But – Well, look, but these guys – look, they, they got to stop with this, oh, I got – you know, I, I can play wherever and then get upset when they don't play. Like, I'm not saying that Fields shouldn't leave. Like, I'm not – I'm right, you know, right, right. you're saying he I'm, made I'm the wrong decision to begin with. Right. My thing is, I'm, I'm absolutely pro-transfer, pro-play wherever you can. And he knew I'm what he was getting pro- himself into. So yes, you don't feel I'm sorry always, for him for not playing this year. Exactly. I'm always pro-player, but I, I, I do feel like these guys got to be smarter. I don't care what Kirby Smart or these other dudes are telling me. If I've seen a pattern, especially with Kirby Smart, where he got where Fromm took over for Eason, he tells guys whatever to get them on campus. And I'm not, I don't want to just target Kirby Smart because there's a lot of coaches doing that. I'm sure right Saban now. does it. Saban does that. Saban, clearly. I told you, EJ, Saban, he's got two quarterbacks in his class. One is Tua's little brother 
and the other one is Bear Bryant's grandson. I, yeah, one of them, they, they can't play both of them. They're both, they're both quarterbacks. Did, one did, of them's uh, going to be screwed over. Didn't when some someone didn't he have Johnny Manziel and then he would try to recruit someone else? Like he wanted Manziel and Mariota in the same class. Well, Chip Kelly, crazy. Chip Kelly recruited. Yeah, he, Chip Kelly yeah. recruited Mariota and uh, Manziel. Chip, and right, Manziel was like, "Nah, one, one nah we're like, not doing that." <laughs> Manziel, well, yeah, Manziel was smart. Seen the field, but to me, that's like on you. Like, go somewhere where you know there's a guy in place who's a senior or a junior, and then once he's gone, I'm the guy. Why these guys are going to schools where they're recruiting other quarterbacks, or the guy has history of putting in quarterbacks that are freshmen over you. Like, I mean, I'm not, and I'm not, this excludes Kelly Bryant, obviously, because he was a senior. He had no idea four years ago this was going to happen to him this year. But, like, these kids got to also start to wake up and see what the game is being played by these coaches. And they got to adjust. Yeah, and, but, yeah, if I'm a quarterback and I, I, I could be from Louisiana, Florida, Georgia, Texas, Mississippi, New York, California, I'm crossing it's like in, in basketball where we talk about freshmen, top freshmen shouldn't go to North Carolina because Roy Williams is going to, is gonna you know, especially if you're a wing, because there's no way you're going to get <laughs> real run or the offense run through you. But right. um, no no way I'm going to Georgia because Kirby Smart clearly is not about playing the best players at the best, at the at the most opportune times. And look, but I don't know, I don't know if Georgia, say I'm not saying Fields is better than Frama. I don't know that. I, I'm not in practice every day. Maybe well, feels don't look better than Fromm. Remember, he, he he did it with Fromm and Easton. So I don't know if I can say that. I just think that these coaches have no loyalty. <laughs> like I mean, because he did the what you're saying he should do with Fields is exactly what he did with Fromm. But the only difference was that Easton was kind of hurt. Easton got camp. hurt, so like he was forced yeah. to play Fromm, and then Fromm just yeah. never lost. So he but was like, Eason "Well, I can't the make guy. the change." He was like, well, I can't make the change because okay. Fromm never lost. And he's still been afraid to make the change since Fromm's been the guy. I can make, I All mean, right, I, if, I, if, I, as an, if I'm an NFL scout, from what I've seen, Easton and Fields are more talented than Jake Fromm. I don't think Jake Fromm is like an elite NFL prospect. I think Easton and Fields have that potential. And I think Fromm could be the guy that's holding back George from being like a real national championship. Not, I'm not saying you can't win a championship yeah. with Jay Fromm. He's one of the ten best quarterbacks in college football, probably ten, fifteen best quarterbacks. But when you got cats like Tua and Trevor Lawrence at Clemson and Alabama, right? Good luck winning a national championship with Jay Fromm as your quarterback. When you have Justin Fields on the roster, my goodness. Yeah. So I don't know. Jay Fromm is trash for me this week. Um. Let's no, get that's Jake ca- Fromm. Uh, he was trash, but you meant uh, smart, particularly. I said Jake Fromm? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, you see. Uh, it was subliminal, it was sub- subliminal shot right there to Jake Fromm. I know. But, we uh, love you, Jake Fromm. You don't want to come on the podcast. You can, you can come give, give Kendall all the smoke you want. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he weighs a big guy. I'm sure he would give me a lot of stuff. <laughs> but regardless, uh, let's get to uh, Kendall's court before we wrap up this show. All right. Um, uh, for Kendall's court, we're going to talk a little basketball. Uh, UCLA, EJ, uh, they have not played well uh, in basketball over the last three weeks, really all season. They've had, I believe, three straight losses, uh, one to Belmont, a second to Cincinnati, and then a third to Liberty last week. And after the loss to Liberty, Steve Alford was canned. Uh, Black Monday was not just for 
football coaches, but apparently for basketball coaches. Because Steve Alford was out of a job on Monday mm-hmm. um, after, I believe, like five years as a coach. Um, he's uh, he wasn't what, an awful, you know. He does. He, I think he did a decent job at UCLA, but ultimately, I think the Bruin fans became too much. I think the UCLA administration saw the way this was going. It was going backwards, and he never had the wild success. I think he had more success in the tournament than he ever had in the regular season. He kind of saved. He his rec- track record looks a little better because of the the success he's had in uh, the tournament that maybe he really has been. But nevertheless, he's now out of a job, and that has led uh, many to speculate who will be the next coach at UCLA. Um, right now, the favorite seems to be Fred Hoiberg uh, for a multitude of reasons, mainly being that uh, his agent... Uh, Casey Wasserman from the Wasserman group is a UCLA alum and is, you know, a huge UCLA booster. And <laughs> that, will, that will certainly help you. Yeah, it will certainly help you. And Bob Myers is also, it used to be an agent under uh, the Wasserman group, and Bob Myers will be uh, assisting with this coaching search. Um, so that, that, take that for what it's worth. But, uh, another guy that's being talked about is Earl Watson. Lonzo Ball's come out and said that he wants Earl Watson to get the job. Yes, he did. He's close with Earl Watson. Earl Watson's close with the Ball family. Um, Earl Watson. Every basically every UCLA ex player has come out and like not beyond like the legend guys, you know, from the six, the Wooden guys, but the the more recent type of guys have all come out and said that they want Earl Watson to get the job. Um, I would. If if I'm UCLA, that's the guy I'm hiring. Um, really, Earl Watson? Yeah. If, if when I first thought about it, I was like, eh, you know, he he's, he has NBA experience, but it was failed in Phoenix. But when I digged deeper, I remembered the fact that Earl Watson, well, one, he's represented by Rich Paul Clutch Sports, which um, it's always good to have an agent in your uh, a high profile agent in your corner <laughs> in college basketball as we saw with the FBI investigation. But beyond that, um, Earl Watson also, I don't know if he runs, but he has he's had his name attached to uh, one of, if not the best, AAU program uh, in the West Coast. Which, oh, really? Yeah, Earl Watson Elite. Um, so, which, they're, they're, they've, they, right now, they're, they've, they had uh, Nico Mannion, who's, arguably the best point guard in the country outside of yep. uh, Cole Anthony and Josh Green, both the guys, five-star guards committed to Arizona, both played for O Watson Elite. I, I mean, I wonder if, I mean, Nico Mannion's from Arizona, so I don't know if he would decommit, but uh, I do wonder if those guys would be willing to possibly play for O Watson instead. Point being, I feel like this has a chance to be like a, a, a lighter version of what Memphis did with Penny Hardaway. Um, but UCLA is a better job. It's a better place than Memphis. You know, it's in LA. It's a blue blood program. So even though Earl Watson doesn't have the, obviously doesn't have the the star power that Penny Hardaway has, he makes up for it with UCLA having more appeal than Memphis does. So, uh, and he has similar. Even though he hasn't been an AAU coach, he has a similar 
connects, and he's very popular in the West Coast. So that would be the guy I would go after. Uh, Dan Dockage seems to think that like every uh, Hall of Fame coach. Has... Yeah, he wanted Rick Patino. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I, I, yo, I had to even retweet be like, "LOL, Patino?" Question mark. Like, it, it, uh, Dick Vitale came out and was openly campaigning for Patino to get the job. That's insane. This said, dude had prostitutes, had coaches paying for prostitutes to sleep with players. How could you give him the UCLA job after that? that, His, that I, I don't know what, why, what is going on? The UCLA, why are these guys a, a, Dan so Guerrero, the AD, the AD of UCLA, Dan Guerrero, had to have been like, either extremely frustrated by this Patino movement or, like, laughing hysterically at the people. I, it's probably both. I'm sure he's I'm sure he's a little bit of both, yeah. You know, like, because, like, it's just beyond stupid to even bring up Patino's name at this stage. <laughs> given what he's been, he's been accused of. And I've been the guy that says, I don't think Patino should be out of coaching in college. Right. But UCLA? Come on now. I mean, that's, that's like, crazy. disrespectful to the brand. But... Uh, and also, <laughs> well, first let me give you Dan Docks' list real quick. He said Calipari, Rick Pitino, Steve Kerr, Tom Izzo, Billy Donovan. 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 He's named a bunch of guys that will never be the coach. <laughs> Some guys like Phil Jackson next. It's, yeah, I don't know. None of those guys are going to be the coach. I, my guess is it will be Hoiberg, Al Garth, or Watson. Real quick, though, did you hear a... Did you hear a rumor, EJ, about um, UNLV is I now I don't know this rumor is very very light, uh, so take it for what it's worth. And this is coming okay. from a Twitter source that uh, claims they know nothing about sports. <laughs> okay, and so I preface it by that too, which also sometimes makes it more. Uh, believable. They're like, we don't even know anything about sports. Yeah, we're in Hollywood people saying LeBron was a done deal. Yeah, exactly. That's when I was like, oh, this is done. You got Hollywood people saying this. They don't even follow sports. This is that Rick Pitino will be the coach at UNLV after the the Mountain West tournament. That's what they That that sounds right. They said $2.5 million a year for five years. They said it's basically already done. That wouldn't surprise me. They said they don't know nothing about sports. They don't know what this means. People were giving them jokes and they were like, I don't even get this Rick Pitino joke, but whatever. It's probably funny, but we know nothing about sports. So, I mean, I don't some vague. If that somehow happened, that wouldn't shock me. I, I mean, it seems to to it seems to make sense. You know, Rick Pitino. It seems like a a a, a, a marriage made in heaven. Rick Pitino, you and Ali. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it, you want to talk about staying in character if you're in Ali. I know, Jesus. All what's the, what's more Vegas than than Rick? All Pitino? the shady. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Rick Pitino. Nothing at this point. Uh, I tell you what, Jerry Tarkini is not walking through that door. No. Um, in terms of UCLA, I, I again those names Dockage was saying. I don't even know what to make of all those names. Pretty much, Billy Dom is the only guy who is Brad Stevens could, the next guy. Brad Stevens is not leaving. So Why not? Why not take UCLA. a take a swing? No, Coach oh, K. I mean, should they call him? Sure, <laughs> but Coach K. No, he's definitely. Um, uh, to me, honestly, I, I, I'm intrigued by Eric Musselman. Musselman. Um, the problem with Musselman Mussel- and Hoiberg, real quick, is that yeah. they both rely on transfers, which I I wonder right. if that flies at at UCLA. But yeah, that's definitely an issue. Neither guy. Well, Musselman showed this year he can recruit. 
before that, I would say neither guy I think has really ever proven to me to be a top-notch recruiter. Um, but I think Musselman, like to me, Musselman is like the anti-Hoiberg and that that guy is like full of energy. And like, I, I just feel like if he got into that Southern California win, that he could make noise. Because we know he's a, he can coach basketball. Yeah. But I think that I think UCLA is in need of a personality. I I've think also that, heard. What do you think about Bobby Hurley? It's another name I've heard. Um, he's certainly a personality. I think I want to see more from Hurley before I make. I mean, to me, almost Hurley getting Hurley would be almost like what they did with Alfred. Like I actually was okay with Alfred hired. A lot of people said they felt like Alfred needed to prove more. I think Hurley proved less, and I guess you maybe make it that Muscle has proved less, but at least Muscle coaching the NBA. I'm not going with Bobby Hurley. Uh, he's still a, a, a coach that's learning to me. I mean, I, he's a he's a he's been a very good coach in his early career, but he's still super young in the game. Where the other guy been coaching for decades. The other guy I would really go after. I don't know if you can get this guy, but I would go after Greg Marshall if I could. I don't know if you can get Greg Marshall, but yeah, I Greg Marshall could. Yeah, I, I love. He Greg seems Marshall. to be very comfortable with that that Wichita. Coke yeah, but this lifestyle. seems like this. But this seems like this is obviously we talked to him. Uh, shout out to Greg Marshall at uh, at Media Day. I mean, this is obviously a down year. He's kind of already. He kind of said, "Yo, the people which talking have to understand their expectations are a little different." He's been I mean, talking you don't see crazy. Talk like that. He said something. Don't he said talk this like week. He like said some, they asked him. Uh, so what's uh, this is actually today because they're playing Memphis tomorrow. They asked him. So what are the uh, strengths of your team? He was like, I don't think we have any. I was like, geez. Yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> he's been talking very weird. He's always been kind of a, a quirky guy, but he sounds the way defeated. He kind of approached this season has been weird, and I don't know. Like sometimes, look, when coaches know they don't got it, sometimes they can't hide it uh, in terms of the talent on the roster, and maybe that's he just knows it. But he could be a guy that maybe it's time for him to get a change of scenery and. I, I think that I could see that. I, that's a, I think that would be a good fit to me, UCLA. Um, but because I think that he he to me he's a better he's better than Musselman. Um, but I think him and Musselman kind of bring the same energy to Southern California that I think they need. The last two coaches they got were way too laid back. Like yeah, Holland ended up being a Holland ended up being a very good hire because I mean he got to the Final Four. We always sometimes we always think because the guy got fired he was a bad hire. I mean. Holland had a lot of success. It just ran out at yeah. a certain point. And you um, know why he got fired? Because the people in L.A. didn't like him. Because he was boring. Right. So when, exactly. once you stop winning or once you stop winning at an extremely high level, they're like, you have no, you have no you're leash. boring. You know? Yeah, you have no leash. You're gone. <laughs> so so you got him. You had Alford before Holland. You had Steve Lavin. A little more vibrant. I, I think they need a character more like that to kind of bring energy back to the program. The program is just dead. Uh, there's no energy to it. There's no excitement to it. And Alford wasn't bringing in those kind of players. Well, Alford, I think, also got um, got messed up because, one, I think his player development has not been very good. They've been getting high recruiting classes every year, and they haven't really – none of these guys have really developed at all. Yeah. Like, Aaron Holiday is the only guy who developed into anything. If it's not a one-and-done guy, the other guys just didn't do anything. And this it doesn't make any sense because they've been getting four or five-star guys every year. Yeah. So their play development has been bad. And I think they're recruiting while they're getting the five-star guys. Sometimes it's not about that. You know, if we're going to mention Rick one more time, you know, the one thing I had to take from him that I thought was interesting when he talked about recruiting is 
we can talk about we can care all about the stars next to that guy's name, but like those, it really doesn't mean anything. <laughs> like no. the guy has to get on campus and perform, and if he doesn't do it, it doesn't matter what star was next to his name when he was a high school junior. And to me, you know, UCLA is beginning the guys with the stars, but it doesn't seem like they don't look them. like the most talented teams when they, they're playing. Yeah, they don't. They they whatever for whatever reason they don't seem to, their talent doesn't seem to flourish when they get on campus. And that was the, that was been the case for Offer's entire time there, pretty much. And it was Howland's case towards the end too. Was Howland was still recruiting well, and he wasn't producing. So they got to get the player development down pat. I think that's why a guy like Musselman, who has NBA experience in player development, would be great. Um, and they got to recruit better. They can't just forget about the stars. Get the guys who are good or who show that they care about the program and can end up producing. Tyler Hero is the the lowest recruit. UK had this year, and he's their best player. Forget the star, look at the player. And I'm hoping that if they do that the next go-around, they'll actually get some guys who can produce. Yeah. Um, Earl Watson is my guy. I feel like he gets you players, which maybe isn't the problem for UCLA we've talked about, but I think he puts a... uh, But he has guys that can actually play. Yeah. UCLA is getting guys with stars, but they can't play. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, is or you know, they can't play when they get on that campus. Yeah. However, they're using them; they're not using them correctly. Their careers die when they get to Quality Pavilion. So I, you know, it's going to be an interesting coaching search. I mean, they have plenty of time, which always is dangerous um, when it comes to these type of deals. But we will see. Uh, but that will do it, EJ, for uh, and listeners for this episode of the New Generation. Sports Talk Podcast. Uh, I, I think I drove the bus pretty fine. Um, yeah, you didn't, didn't drive, drive us off a cliff today, Kendall. Did not Thank drive us off a cliff. Um, you can check out all of our shows here on the New Generation uh, Podcast Network on SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, be sure to tune in on Friday for our, uh, our State of the Knicks uh, podcast. That should be fun. And... Uh, be sure to uh, subscribe to us on YouTube at New Generation Media. Uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram at New Generation Poc- uh, Podcast. Be sure to follow us uh, on Twitter uh, at New Generation Pod. You can follow EJ uh, at EJ uh, underscore Stewart on Twitter and uh, at Action EJ on Instagram. But that'll do it for our show here today. Uh, I am Kendall uh, Stewart of New Generation Media, signing off. Uh, Thank you, guys.